Generations in Palestine. Yes, my mother told me she remember we used to live in the Palestinian neighbors in such a good relationship. We used to babysit each other, the children. In the Jewish holidays, they bring over the children to the Muslim neighbors. In the Muslim ones, they bring over the children to Jewish neighbors. We have no problem. The problem here is not the religion. The problem is occupation, killing, take away the land from people. This is the problem. The problem completely. The, 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 the Palestinians don't hate Jews. They, they hate occupiers. occupiers. No difference if it's a Jew, if it's a French, it's English. No difference. The same hate they will have if the Japanese will come into the Holy Land and take it over. And the same thing will happen here in, in England if somebody comes to take it over. 100%. This haven't got nothing. But the Zionists try to do it. No, this is anti-Semitism. No, no, no. This is the old anti-Semitism. This is completely untrue. Completely unto and we have to bring this to the attention to know the problem is not the religion, the problem is the occupation. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. Going to do four main focuses, or really two primary focuses for today's show. One of them is about a claim that has been circulating that I've had kind of on the, the side for a few days that I wanted to make sure that we researched and, you know, something that I've talked about in the past. And this is, as the title says, the open secret of I, a couple different ways I framed the title. I forget which one I ended up with, the stealing of Palestinian organs. And really, we'll get into the something that goes well beyond occupied Palestine and into the world in general and the, the worldwide organ trade and the illicit organ trade both of which the Israeli government seemed acutely involved in. But this became a topic yet again, as it has bubbled back up over the years. And every time the ADL and the Israeli government step in and say, this false story is coming up again and it's insulting and it's racist, except it's completely provable and it's not a false story at all. And we're going to go over how it's been a reality and open secret for decades. Except today, the conversation came back into play when Remember, we discussed the Palestinian bodies that were stolen from Al-Shifa. And again, I argued a potential false flag. You know, how is that going to be used? And that's still something we should consider. But then the allegations came from human rights groups through the Palestinian people that organs had been taken. Small things like corneas from the eyes, but something much, things much larger as well from these bodies. Now, these are only allegations at the moment coming from human rights groups that claim that they have the evidence. But the point of today in this one topic is not about proving that this did happen today. We will try and do our best to do that as well, but to show that this is not something that you should balk at. It's a very obvious and real discussion that has been highlighted, discussed, called out by basically everybody, good, corporate media included, mind you. Things shifted today or have re, over the last so many years or decades, however you want to look at it, but it's a very real problem. Vanessa Bealey and I have talked about this discussion of the, the illicit organ trade during and the on during in the war on Syria and ongoing war in Syria, and how there was a huge problem with trafficking with the missing children that of course the Western powers didn't care about. They'd care about it if it was somewhere else, of course, but not there. And the question then becomes is that just a byproduct of war, or is that something else that's always present that is being driven into reality by the very people that are profiting from the war, if not driving it into reality? So we're going to talk today about 
Israel's role in the international organ trade and how this ties back to what's going on here in Gaza and ask the simple question. Are they simply taking advantage, you know, assuming for those you haven't seen the information yet, assuming that you see what I'm going to show you and you believe that it is accurate, I believe that it is. The question is, are they simply benefiting from the massacre they're committing as the Israeli government, which is, I mean, talk about horrific genocide and then trying to profit from it is even worse. Or is it something that is being done for that reason? I don't believe that's the case because I think there's a lot of moving parts, a lot bigger aspects to what's going on, but it's something we should ask. If not, at the very least, situationally, was that hospital attacked? So this could happen. Were all these children taken? So this might be possible. These are something, these are things that we should ask, especially today when we're catching people lying. Now, we're also going to talk about illegal settlements in the same kind of realm of the conversation, and you'll see how they intersect. Something that you're all very well aware of. We've talked about this long before October 7th, probably since I've ever been doing this work, or really, I think since the I truly understood the dynamic of occupied Palestine, the settlements are a standout part of this that are really ridiculous because the United States government, for example, has always maintained that these settlements are illegal, yet they never do anything about it. Even right now, calling them out saying, please don't do more of that. They're doing more right now, mind you. They're already passing legislation to get more settlements in the West Bank while this is going on. That's illegal. Nobody cares. And we're going to go into why that's important to the conversation today. We're going to talk about, assuming we have time to get to it, I believe we do with what I've slotted. We're going to talk about Elon Musk going to Israel and getting the IDF tour, of course, not seeing any of Gaza and what they've committed there and getting the walk around tour saying, here's a terror crib. Right. And here, here's a fan. Here's an information. Here's how we'll contextualize these things that are meaningless unless we tell you what you're looking at. You know, the same people that have been caught lying about all of those things. And we'll go through what we how that's going to build into this the future of what's going to happen in this topic. We're also going to get into a couple more points about the prisoners from both sides and some inf in developing stories around that and what it means and what it shows us. More people saying that they were treated kindly now as, as well as a few examples that i'm still trying to uh, verify at the moment people claiming that they were abused and what i've gotten two different versions i've gotten examples of people that are only in hebrew that i can't speak and i can't find someone to verify at least not today it's weird because they seem to challenge basically everybody else the the very publicized examples of many different israelis that to this very day say they were treated kindly by them doesn't mean that they're not capable of doing terrible things to somebody else or that they did that so they would say that. Who knows? But what's interesting, I've seen examples of the same kind of accounts you'd expect, the ones that have been caught lying over and over, now putting forward a still shot of a person and saying, here's what this kid said they did to him. And I haven't been able to confirm it. Weirdly enough, the other ones are really easy to confirm as they're being talked about in all the corporate media. I have a sneaking suspicion that they might not be real. This is a day-by-day -day developing information story, so let us know what you're seeing. Again, I would not be surprised if Hamas was abusive to some of these people. It wouldn't be surprised if, as we have well proven, that Israel is abusive to plenty of Palestinians. It's a very obvious thing, but we want proof, and that matters. So we're going to start today with a couple of foreign policy points that I think are important to make sure you guys see that are related to the bigger story. The Cradle writes from to, uh, yesterday, Washington concerned over Turkey military exports to Russia. Now, why I think that's important is just to show you the bigger hypocrisy of it all. Isn't Turkey's a NATO ally. 
Erdogan has been very outspoken about this being genocide, that Israel is in a legal state, like just completely not pulling punches. What's interesting to me, though, is right now the, the reason Israel continues to claim they can bomb Syria, even though there's literally no legal justification for what they're doing, period. No matter what you want to scream about terrorism, that doesn't give you the legal justification to bomb an international airport. Obviously, that's not what's really happening. The point, though, is that their argument is we're bombing because of Iran and shipments of weapons. Okay, well, that's a, that's legally allowed between those allies, but that's beside the point. It's interesting that their whole reasoning is that, well, the weapons are going to be used by our adversaries. Okay, well, are you going to start bombing Turkey? Are you going to bomb a NATO ally now? I mean, it's the same justification. So all that really shows you is that there are different allegiances that allow you to break the law or allow you to do the thing, whether it's illegal or not, that the other guy can't just because we don't like you. Rules-based international order. Yeah, really. I mean, it's so, uh, it's such a, I mean, this, I'm so glad the world has seen through this immediately. As people keep saying, one of the earliest casualties of all this was the illusion of Western humanity, Western, you know, international law, whatever the, they keep saying, because it's obvious. And that doesn't mean individuals, mind you. That means the governments we're talking about. The point here is to show you that Turkey, seemingly has, as they've always done, whether it's been Syria or anywhere else, it's very strange how they just kind of do what they want and everyone lets it happen. But anybody others than them, you know, it's, it's, there's different dynamics and different groups and similar situations. But this is just a standout. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to shift. But all I want you to see is that they can happily deal with one of the lead adversaries of the U.S. government. And they'll say something about it. They'll, I'm sure there's pressure, there's talks, but Erdogan has been pretty clear over the years that that doesn't really seem to matter to him, at least outwardly. Even though they literally threatened to almost, a, I mean, not attack, but seemingly that's what happened. Germany with Russia. Attack the Nord Stream pipeline, right? But see, you, you get the point. Overall, it's just hypocrisy and it has nothing to do with what's right, what's legal, who is supporting terrorism. It's all about their agenda at your expense. That's government for you. Now, another point, I saw this, and I haven't really gone too deep on this just yet, and this is going to develop, quite frankly, my false flag lie, don't believe it, Harris stood up immediately, but that's just my personal opinion. Pennsylvania water system hacked by Iranian back hackers. Iranian backed is usually an example that means they think maybe that there's an Iranian name involved, so maybe, it's just, it's Iranian back could mean anything. Literally, that means they think it's connected to Iran, therefore it's Iranian back. It could be an Iranian person living in China. They'll call it Iranian back. I, my point is that it's a, what they're stating from a U.S. government point, Iranian back hackers, who, by the way, left a message down with Israel. I mean, it's just my point is always this is just, I quite frankly don't think Iran's that stupid. I don't think that's very clumsy. And if it was just an Iranian individual or a group that they argue is somehow tangentially connected to something they believe is Iran connected, that's about as flimsy as these things tend to be. The point is, it doesn't then prove that Iran is in any way connected, but this is all already being used by right-wing pundits, by Israel, by the United States to say, we told you Hamas is everywhere and they're coming after you. They're coming through the Southern border. They're coming through our foreign policy. They're coming through the cyber attacks. Oh, but that also means Russia or Iran or whatever we want it to mean in that moment. They're all bad. And they're all coming after you everywhere. Don't need evidence. Shut up and go back to sleep. Do you really think that Iran is going to take the time to hack this and make sure you know it's them at a time when it seems they're actively trying not to be 
I think right now we see Iran and Syria and different groups that are being very careful about how they get involved with this, even though it's very obvious that they would take this part of Palestine. This, to me, seems clumsy. This seems like, as I said here, taking bets. Was this the clumsy, ham-fisted work of Mossad or CIA? Or as many pointed out, what's the difference? (laughs) Now, that's just my opinion. I'm not saying I know this yet. We'll see what happens. But the idea that this perfectly time point where it just gives them the excuse they need to make it all about the axis of evil and how they're all coming down on us and driving American opinion. That's what this is about. They desperately need you, Americans, more than any other group, for whatever reason, to be on the side of what they do and think that Israel's in the right and think that they're fighting for freedom. They're desperate. I don't buy this for a second. Now, to get into a main part of the show today, I want to talk about the settlements, and I want to talk about from there into the point of both what's going on with the children before the ceasefire, as I told you, the point that I wanted to get into that I was trying to call out early. I posted this on the 27th, the day before, or excuse me, this one. On the, I posted this on the 23rd. As I said, I've seen six different videos now from the last 24 hours, the day before the supposed ceasefire, showing the IDF detaining children. I didn't have the numbers yet, but I said, I think this likely explains the so-called delay, which nobody really knew why that happened in the, quote, ceasefire, as Israel was scooping up enough new detained children to exchange. Now, at this point, I was just thinking, whatever the reasoning was, we're giving up children, so let's take more of them. That sounds like a very Israeli Zionist government thing to do, but even just petty mindset. But then today's conversation opened up a whole other angle to this in regard to trafficking or organs, all this different stuff. I'm not saying that is what happened, but just opened up the possibility of my mind to this. Now, on the 23rd is when I called this out. Now, my point is we'll get into today, as I link to here, this was from the 27th where we have Al Jazeera and plenty of other people making that same point with numbers. And we'll come back to that. As I just said, this is what I was trying to highlight for everybody the day before. As always, demonstrating our value. If you believe in this platform, you would have known about this interesting point that seems to be currently flourishing through the independent media if you're watching The Last American Vagabond last week. I think that's worthy of pointing out. Now, we're going to start here with a clip that was shared. I don't know why this. There's some some, uh, interesting differences between the platform on your computer, on your phone. There it is. CJ Whirlman, which seems to disappear in a second, I bet. I don't know why it does that sometimes. Well, there and now it seems to be staying. Okay, so this is where I saw it from, this account right here. It's a video. And this is a is a Harvard. Uh, let me get the spot where it pops up. Right there. Ruth Wise, Harvard University. And it says that she's a professor emeritus of, of Yiddish literature, I believe. Now, what she's saying is very interesting. She's speaking at this... Um, American Jewish kind of like meeting where they're talking about as American Jews, what their responsibility is. I find this very interesting. There's a lot of this. Now, from my perspective, this is about what I would argue is a Zionist manipulation of what they have created in regard to what some Jewish people, I think it's a very rapidly diminishing number, believe is their obligation, which is really about the Zionist project and not really the idea of Judaism. But see, that's the manipulation. But listen to what she has to say, and this will make more sense. You will say, what? You want us to make you look good? That's not my job. Your job is to make us look good. 
Our job is not to make you look good, American Jews. What do you have to worry about? You- yeah, yeah. What do you have to worry about? Eh? Does that make you happy, American Jews? What do you have to worry about in your cushy lives? Very strange statement, right? Like uh, this comes from the mindset, in my opinion, of the that specifically outside of the United States, Jews are, be- Jews are being persecuted everywhere more than anybody. I don't agree with that. I think there are people that are racist and there are persecutions towards ethnicities or anything, even today, white people all over the world in different ways. I think today more than ever, these things are beginning to highlight that this is not like, for example, as Alan McLeod pointed out, the ADL came out and said, we've seen a 400% spike in anti-Semitism. And then it was revealed that all they did was label literally every single Palestinian protest or Palestinian engagement as anti-Semitic. That's not true. In fact, that's wildly dishonest. Most of them, or I shouldn't say a lot of them, are Jewish organizations. So that's the point about how that gets manipulated. So the idea, well, anyway, let's let her finish. Your job is to make us look good. And here's how you do it. Every one of us has to serve three years in the army, two years in the army, some of us five years, and then for the rest of our lives. You have got to serve two or three years in the army of words. You've got to learn to fight the political battle, which is even more important at this point than the military battle. We just talked about the Hasbara, right? I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about here. That we are. We'll fight the military battle. We're not asking you necessarily to come and be lone soldiers, although... Not necessarily. (laughs) Some of you can. You've got to learn how to fight back on the campuses, how to make the arguments. Mm -hmm. Now, they keep shifting. You know, the the ground keeps shifting under us. They keep changing the language. Intersectionality wasn't even a word 10 years ago. Now, suddenly, it's intersectionality. You've got to stay on top of it. And you know how we train for the Army? We don't train for defensive warfare. If If the war against Israel ever had to be fought on Israeli soil, do I have to tell you? It's it's an impossibility. Samson option is probably what she's alluding to. But either way, the point is what she's saying is we don't train for defensive warfare. Yeah, we know that. We know that. It's attack, right? That's been very clear. The Zionist government is about aggression. It's very similar to what the U.S. government does. But it's, it's almost, it's very unsettling what she's saying right here. I, I, I argue they never expected this to be something publicly shared. You're basically saying you need to, as Americans, take surreptitious action, whatever word you want to use. You are actively online spreading. You could argue you agree with what you're being told to spread, but that may not necessarily be the case. They're simply saying it's your obligation to share what we argue is our reality on campuses to influence other people's opinions per on behalf of the state of Israel. And just because you frame that as the state of the Jewish people, you're talking about a foreign country with a foreign military and a foreign intelligence apparatus run by a Zionist government who is influencing Americans to then go around their colleges and tell them what they're supposed to think about Israel. How if just pretend that was Russia, pretend that was Iran. The, the fact that you think one is concerning and not the other is exactly the problem. That's crazy to me. And it is happening publicly in real time. So it's the same thing. Don't let the war of words ever be fought about Israel's nature. Let it be fought about why you can't accept Israel. Right, right. Don't talk about what they're doing wrong. Let's spin it around and make it about why you're racist. Why can't you accept that they exist? I'm not talking about why they exist. I'm talking about the fact they just murdered children. You're a racist. That's the game.
Why you have to single out this tiny people? Try to find Israel on the map. It's hardly there. You know, we used to play this game, where's Waldo? You know, uh, you know there's, where is Waldo on the map? Are you going to really tell me that this is the country you want to blame? All right, so abuse the idea that they're so small. How do you think they're making a difference? You're lying. She knows she's lying. Let's be very clear about that. That is a dishonest tactic to dis- to derail the conversation away from what you're pointing at to suggest that you're somehow racist because look at this tiny country. You think that's what you care about? As at the point being, you're damn right we should because they're outlining how insidious this really is. Push them. Teach them how to defend by attacking. Teach them really what one says as in fencing. You've got to do that. You've got to make demands on them. They've got to serve for three years in the army of words. Wow. And that's also the point about how they largely, almost all, I do think there are some loopholes to college, but maybe, you know, and maybe that's changed, but going through the IDF, going to the military, which then is, is a whole different dynamic when you're talking about an entire population of people that are serving in the military or are on reserve in regard to the occupied force and the idea of armed rebellion. It does change the dynamic a little bit. Either way, The point is this is about Zionist influence over Jews and manipulating them into thinking that this is some kind of battle they should be fighting at at the expense or at the very least not in the interest of your host country. Now, that doesn't if people try to make this only about Jews and only about Israel, that is an alarming thing, no matter where it comes from. That's the point. And this is what we did when someone like us makes that point. If it was Russia or China or Britain or Germany or anybody, we would be like, that's crazy. And they reroute it back to you're just a racist and you hate Jews. That's and this is how this game goes. Instead of trying to highlight that what they're doing is the largest example of everything we pretend we're trying to defend ourselves against. It's alarming. Here. Now, the reason I wanted to start with this one is just to show you kind of this nature of how we've set the conversation, influenced into the country or any other country, it's not just the United States, mind you, the kind, the idea that you're supposed to defend first and foremost, the, the, the state of Israel, right? And so that's a concern for people that would do so who might also be in the military or who might, who might also hold positions in the government or who might also have influence, whether political or financial or anything else, and then be acting in the, at the expense of this country or secondarily for another country, any country. Again, it's just so crazy to me. Now, talking about the idea of the settlements in general and why this is so difficult for some people to realize, one, that's happening, and two, what this shows about what they really truly are as the Zionist government. Joseph Borrell Fontellas, who is the medical doctor, a medical doctor, um, looks like, oh, sorry, wrong one. I was like, that's not what he was. High representative of the EU for foreign affairs and security. He says, I'm appalled to learn that in the middle of the war, you know, one small fraction of the 75-year occupation, the Israeli government is poised to commit new funds to build more illegal settlements. Probably comes from the $1.4 million they just claimed they stole from Gaza. Which, by the way, is ridiculous. Let me see if I can even get that to come up. No. Let's see. Now, I, I, I talked about it yet, yesterday or the day before. They said they it was Channel 12 Israeli platform art said that they they claimed that they seized one point four million dollars or I think it was five point something shekels from Gaza. 
from a place that is in an open air prison that ba- that is under occupation and they're gloating about taking funds from these people that can barely feed themselves. This is horrific. It says this is not self-defense and will not make Israel safer. The settlements are grave uh, hum- international human rights, human H-I-L- I-H-L is uh, international human humanitarian law breach, and they are Israelis' greatest security liability. That's the point that a lot of Israelis make, right? The, 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 the fact that that's what that clip that I played in the opening, I'll play again in a second. It's not about Jews or about Israelis. It's about the fact that you hate your occupier, which is an illegal occupation, right? So you're continuing to take land and continuing to do which everybody, including the U.S., deems illegal and then get outraged when somebody pushes back. Here is what Al, uh, Allison Weir says. It's just a small clip about you know, discovering this old, like, I think this is an old, maybe a decade or a little bit less saying that, you know, it's about when she discovered what Zionism was, that most people don't even understand that we're not talking about anything other than Zionism. First things I learned was that when, when I was born, there was no Israel. So where did this come from? Well, what I discovered was that there was a movement uh, that began over a century ago and began operating in Europe and in the United States. It was a, was and is a political movement that has profoundly and negatively impacted our country. It has tragically impacted the Middle East and it has dangerously impacted the entire world. And yet most of us, I think, have never heard of it and could certainly not define it. It's political Zionism. This was a movement to create a Jewish state in Palestine. It began in the late 1800s. So, on that note, right, the idea being that this stems from an illegal occupation, which, by the way, for anybody still pretending that's not the case, you know, it's, it's, at what point, if every single entity that we were always told are the ones we're supposed to look to to decide that, which, by the way, we never should have been blindly trusting, question everything means question everything, but all the ones they've told us in the past, the same point they make in regard to whether this is genocide or whether it's a war crime. All of them are telling you this is occupied. And by the way, including the United States, they just don't say that out loud and they quibble about it now today, especially. Historically, it's obvious. You can try to play the game to argue that only Gaza was occupied and they pulled out that way it's not occupied. It's all occupied. It's all Palestine that was taken. Then Gaza is part of an open air prison that was a particularly terrible spot and it still maintains that day. But just because they pretend they pulled away from it, it's still within occupied Palestine and that's still part of it that they still control. So it's all an illusion. The point, though, is that knowing this is where it stems from, Syrian Girl makes an excellent point, which interestingly changes the whole dynamic. She says, well, it might surprise you that Hamas never invaded Israel on October 7th. What they did is went into areas like Ashkelon that are recognized internationally as Palestinian land, even by the United Nations. So isn't that interesting? So what we're talking about is the fact that when on October 7th, Hamas went into an area what they effectively went into was an illegally stolen part. All of it is, mind you, but a newer stolen part where this was a settlement that was added on to the areas. And that, so the point is that ultimately this is even by the United Nations recognized as a Palestinian area that was illegally settled by colonial settlers. Isn't that interesting? So then even more so to the point about the illegal occupation and armed rebellion per the Geneva Conventions, it's even more obvious at this point. That's a very important part of this. Now, she for the podcast, she includes some images that you can look for yourself. 
it's kind of break down like where these things are located. Now, understand that this, this comes from before this started. It's never stopped. For 75 years, this has never stopped. And I'm going to read you a very important part about the Oslo Accord era and what Netanyahu played a role, or what role Netanyahu played in that, that, that makes it clear he's always been what he is right now, what he's always been, what he's doing to Gaza right now, from the very beginning. He is the, he represents, in my opinion, the, it's, the, the Zionist project has always been extremist, but he represents a very rapid and dangerous shift into the most extreme elements, which is why now the religious Zionism party seems to be controlling what's happening. But June 26 is when this article is from, before October, obviously. Israel okay's plan for thousands of new settlement homes, which, by the way, defies White House calls for restraint, which is their meek, ridiculous statement of please don't do the thing we all know is illegal, even though Israel knows they'll never do anything about it. So they do it anyway for 75 years. That's the point. So White House knows it's illegal. They state this and all they do is go, please don't. That's all they do. As it says here, Israel's far-right government on Monday approved plans to build over 5,000 new homes. And you know where they're built, right? On places where Palestinians are removed. It's the only way this exists. They're not building into some other, not going to Jordan, not going anywhere. They're, they're going into other territory. That's why they're illegal settlements. And they're people that have been displaced before, possibly in the first Nakba, possibly in the process since then. And the way they do, they come and they say, now you have to move again because we want that area for our people. That's what this is. That's why it's an apartheid system. That's why it's racist. That's why what they're doing is illegal. So 5,000 new homes, many of which are homes stolen, like that famous clip you can see where the guy literally says, if I don't steal it, somebody else is going to. Exactly the point. A move that threatened to worsen increasingly strained relations with the United States. Hardly. They just have to pretend like they care because everyone can see that they have no power over the situation. All they have to do is stop giving them money. They never will do that. Now, that's just a quick point that I feel like I've something in there I could get to, but then this brings us to today or yesterday. Truth out reports, Israel poised to vote on budget plan that funds illegal settlements in West Bank. Just to show you that what he was saying is definitely true, that they're now continuing the illegal act. But the point is during what's going on. So they're so completely unperturbed by everything going on that they can just... Take other projects by acting like the victim and like you're the one defending yourself. Meanwhile, you're genociding a group right here while building illegal settlements. Sure sounds like you're struggling, right? The point is, obviously, they're taking advantage of the situation. And this is why they've been bombing in the West Bank. This is why they've been killing people in the West Bank. They have been moving and displacing people in the West Bank. Because they are at war with Palestine and always have been. Israel's war cabinet is expected to approve the proposal, which, by the way, we already told you this includes funding to arm the settlers who have already been pillaging, raping, murdering, blindfolding, urinating on, branding all the people that we've seen in the West Bank. That's corporate media reports, mind you. We just read that directly from Amnesty International. Those are the people that have been historically and documentably hurting and abusing the Palestinians in the West Bank for a very long time. And what do they do? Make it official. You think the the UN and is the US? You don't think you don't think they see this? They do. They don't care. If you've never seen a better example of how they literally don't care about the laws they pretend and force down the throat of their adversaries, it's right there in front of you. So they're going to displace more people while this happens. 
Now, I'd like to play this clip again for those that just maybe didn't hear it when we started. This is coming from Torah Judaism, one of the most prominent groups that are speaking out about why Zionism is not Judaism. Why, in fact, it is a manipulation, manipulating Jews, really at their own expense. And a lot of people are seeing this today. A lot of Israelis, largely because of October 7th and how obvious it was that they were involved. And we'll get into again today. There's another point coming from Gray Zone about how even more obvious it is that they shot their own people, knowingly, it seems, Hannibal Directive and so on. We've talked about all this. So Palestinians, Israelis, people around the world, they see you, Zionism. They see you and they understand, finally, what this really going on. Here is an Orthodox Jew, part of Torah Judaism, telling you that before Zionism, Things were different. I'm seven generations in Palestine. Yes, my mother told me. She remember we used to live in the Palestinian neighbors in such a good relationship. We used to babysit each other, the children. In the Jewish holidays, they bring over the children to the Muslim neighbors. In the Muslims, they bring over the children to Jewish neighbors. We have no problem. The problem here is not the religion. The problem is occupation, killing, take away the land from people. This is the problem, the problem completely. The, 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 the Palestinians don't hate Jews, they, they hate occupiers. occupiers. No difference if it's a Jew, if it's a French, if it's English, no difference. The same hate they will have if the Japanese will come into the Holy Land and take it over. And the same thing will happen here in, in England if somebody comes to take it over. 100%. This haven't got nothing, but the Zionists try to do it. No, this is anti-Semitism. No, no, no. This is the old anti-Semitism. This is completely untrue. Completely untrue, and we have to bring this to the attention to know the problem is not the religion, the problem is the occupation. Now, for all those, even some in the chat, that would make this only about Jewish people, you just can't pretend that's the case when you can prove that there are Jewish people who are actively calling out what we're do- dealing with, and in, in the sense of specifically the argument about Israel and what the pro- you know, that th- it's, it's a problem because it's very obvious that there are people who are trying to shoe or rather redirect all of this towards that group, which by the way, is a Zionist manipulation. That's the whole point. Now here, by the way, I think this is the right clip. I I haven't played this one as much as the others, but this is Avi Shalom, the British Israeli historian also telling you about the, I think this is the one where he discusses the territorial dimensions of Zionism and how that changed everything. have lived in Iraq uh, since the 6th century BC, two and a half millennia ago, since the time of the Babylonian exile. But the creation of the State of Israel, for the first time, gave a territorial dimension to Zionism, which it didn't have before. Iraqi Jews, whether they liked it or not, were identified with the Zionist movement. So that point's important too, because what he's saying is, people at the time who were aware of the, the danger of the Zionist movement then associated the Jewish people in Iraq with them because the Zionist movement's actions. Is that the Jews' fault? No, it's the fault of Zionism. It's the same point. But then in that case, it drove in a lot of ways them to find, that, I guess, the safety and support of that extremist group. But remember the clip we play many times where he discusses the fact that the Iraqi uh, Jews were bombed by Zionists Per people proving this, according to and by the way, there's there's investigations about this. It's not hard to it's easy to prove. There's a great article from Middle East Eye actually breaking it down in the 50s, but that these were at the, I, maybe I'll just play it quickly after this. So to, for those that won't think that might not be true, and the great majority were non-Zionist. Um, Iraq was their homeland. They wanted to stay in Iraq, but after Israel was created, the Jews 
throughout the Middle East were identified with Israel, with the enemy. Iraqi Jews were convinced that Israel had a hand in uprooting them. After the 1948 war, there was mounting popular hostility towards the Jews in Iraq. Five bombs exploded in Jewish sites. The series of bombs created a panic which led more and more Jews to register to leave the country. I met an elderly friend of my mother's, uh, an Iraqi Jew called Yaakov Karkukli, who had been in the Zionist underground. One member of his group, Yosef Basri, a very, very intelligent uh, Jewish lawyer, and his assistant, Shalom Saleh Shalom, were responsible for three out of the five bombs. Basri's controller was an Israeli intelligence officer named Max Binet, who was based in Tehran. Yeah, those are important. I just think he's a very prominent and respected voice. And, you know, and again, it's funny, I, I wasn't even talking about the specific person in the chat who apparently thinks I was talking about him. But yes, definitely people are all saying that, right? So he just says, no one is saying that. They definitely are. There are I, I've dealt with them. I mentioned the Handsome Truth guy and the GDL and those groups like that. That's exactly what they're saying. I think they are absolutely a, a intelligence apparatus manipulation. That's what I think, at least in some larger way, not everybody involved. There are absolutely racists in the world. But to, on the point about the West Bank, right, and the idea of the settlements themselves, which we'll get into more in a second, let's realize, I wanted to remind you, we pointed this out the other day. This is from Daniela Modas, just pointing out the U.S.-backed occupation forces have launched airstrikes targeting a home in Janine, the West Bank refugee camp. Occupation forces are preventing ambulances from reaching casualties at the site of the bombing. Here we have Israeli forces carry out deadly raids in the West Bank amid the Gaza truce. 239 people have been killed in the West Bank, right? Now, look, there's no, the argument that there is no Hamas there is a true point. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't people that support them or that there are not like at people that are allegiance of the, the argument that there is some kind of like tunnels or installation. That's not true. Not, I don't even think Israel makes that argument, but the point is they just shake the Hamas and they are, they work with Hamas. And they, these are allegations that nobody ever has to be proven and they just murder people all the time. Per, I mean, this is again, the reason this is so easy to say, it's because you have international groups and the United Nations, people like that have been calling this out for years, but not doing anything about it, though. You see, that's the problem. They don't like just like what Sam Hussein keeps pointing out. Why don't they initiate the, gen the genocide convention? Why isn't anybody calling for that? I, I honestly believe that they're ha they were willing to step out in the light and say bad, bad, but don't take it the next step further because they then I think they know there will be repercussions. From the power structure, from the U.S. government, from plenty of things. But here, Glenn Greenwald plays an interesting clip. It says, interesting and quite earnest discussion by Adam Freeland, who I'm not familiar with, of what he was taught as an American Jew from birth to believe about Israel. What almost all American Jews are taught to believe from birth. And how his first visit to the West Bank caused him to repudiate those views, right? Not the IDF tour through the kibbutz that, is, that Elon just got, but an actual view of the West Bank, an actual view of, in, not for, in this, his case, he just saw the West Bank. Now imagine seeing Gaza. That's why it's so important to people like Eva Bartlett, Vanessa Beely, or uh, uh, Abby Martin, who have been there, right? Who have seen it, who have covered it, who have documented it. And now most, I think all of them aren't even allowed back. But just the West Bank. And listen to how this changed his opinion. I argue because he has a heart. He has compassion. 
You brought it up. No, but I went, yeah, we went to the settlements, and yeah. I was like, to that point, I was a fucking Zionist. I was there right after they disengaged from Gaza, right mm. after they they cleared out Gush Katif, and, like, Sharon left. And I guess 2017 was the election, so it was like, or no, it's not 2017. It was 17 years ago was the election, so this was 18 years ago. It was before the election of Hamas. Mm-hmm. They pulled out, and then they took us to the West Bank, like, the last month I was there. And I realized that I was like, oh, this is the wrong side of history. Mm-hmm. And I saw, like, you look down at the Arab village that was underneath where this fucking settlement was. And you see how these people are living under constant surveillance and they're being fucking demeaned and dehumanized. And then you see these fucking guys, like, building these tract houses like they live in fucking Orange County. Mm-hmm. You know, in the middle of, in the middle of like, this p- political reality, which is brutal. And fucking like inhumane, and I lost it. I lost it then, and I went back and I told my parents, and we got in big arguments. I was like, you know, this is what we were told was important was to support fucking Israel, so the Holocaust doesn't happen again. That's what we were told, mm-hmm. and that's what my parents were told. They were growing up, and they knew survivors, you know, mm-hmm. and that it freaked them out. And I understand why there's like this like narrative in the Jewish community, but like the doesn't make Jews more safe. You know? mm. It's a failure of a project. And then now we're seeing like this fucking bloody reality. And yeah, but the response is crazy. Cause I, the I mean, response you know, yeah, is insane. It's, it's, it's like the, the idea... Like seeing a, Joe Biden saying he doesn't believe the death tolls, that really broke me. Well, because, they're panicking now. Did you see... It's everyone, everybody, honest, sees through this, which, by the way, I believe is the vast majority of people. But of course, the point, right, is, you know, the whole never again, right, unless or only if, right, because we're watching it play out right now, right? It's obviously it wasn't never again, clearly, unless there's some kind of caveat to that statement that we don't understand. But this is obvious. Now, here's an important article. This is from November 26th this year. What does history suggest about Benjamin Netanyahu's vision for Israelis and Palestinians? This is from uh, ABC, but it's, you know, Australian ABC. Less than so we already told you, right? Less than four percent right now of Jewish Israelis, which is it's just so fascinating to me how obviously racist this is. So it's weird how it matters more to poll only the Jewish Israelis, you know, like I mean, because it's obviously a relevant point because of the way they frame themselves, right? The Jewish Israelis have far more influence and ability to it's just but it's just so obvious what this is. And it's not a knock on Jewish people or Israelis, it's a knock on the government that has created this apartheid reality. But the point is, they're stating 4% of Jewish Israelis rate him as a not a reliable source of information. Or, excuse me, only 4% rate him as a reliable source. Meaning that 96% of the country, or specifically Israeli Jews, don't believe he's honest and believe he would lie. That's very important. There was just clips coming out of protesters, both in, I think, New York and even Israel, saying the same things. And yet our government is telling you to blindly go along with his entire agenda. It's just mind-blowing. But it says this comes as concerns are growing internationally about how Israel's conducting this war. The speed with which children are dying is astounding. With almost a thousand children and babies reported to be killed by Israel on average every week. But they're doing their best. This is why nobody takes this. Nobody's believing this. This is grotesque. I mean, even if you believe they're doing their best, then then the the historical logic would be then just stop right now. Stop what you're doing because clearly this is unacceptable. 
the casualties in this are unacceptable to anybody anywhere other than you. What does that tell you about them? It says, and then there are the premature babies who have died because the water used with their formula was contaminated, which, by the way, is not unique to post-October 7th, due to Israelis' reluctance to allow fresh water into Gaza. Yeah, real reluctant to allow people to not starve to death and have fresh water for 75 years, or rather more so post the open-air prison scenario. But it says Israel's conduct of their war is increasingly being challenged. At first, Israel urged people, Palestinians trapped in Gaza to move to the south of Gaza, a small area about half the size of Canberra in, in Australia. But many Palestinians, of course, were killed as they headed south, as if we don't obviously see what that shows us. Literally murder them as they take the safe route. Literally bomb them in the safe location. But we're all confused and baffled by it, right? Just like we're baffled by the vaccines. Now, Israel is telling them to move to a tiny section, this is new, in the southwest. Yeah, so just like we were all telling you, they're not going to be allowed back to their homes. Now, the, the area of northern Gaza they've taken is now Israel's. This is always what the plan was. They just lied and lied and lied, obfuscated, and Biden comes out and tells you about 40 babies again, and just keep pushing the story until they get what they want. All of this is illegal, and people in the international community have never stopped saying that. So we need to recognize who are the illegal actors in all of this, your governments included. But now they're telling them, okay, you're in the South, and we've been bombing you the whole time, but that's your humanitarian area. Now they're going to say move to another 14 square kilometer area. That's it. That Israel has now decreed as safe. You know, as safe as the safe route they currently are bombing. Nobody knows how many of the Gaza 2.3 million civilians will follow that warning. But even, and by the way, why would they listen now since they've already been killed and watch people get picked off as they walk down the street? But it says, but even if not all of them take up the warning, hear this people, it is physically impossible to herd 1 million or 1.5 million into 14 square kilometers. But you know who doesn't care? The U.S. government. The humanitarian world, they don't care. All they're saying is keep going after Hamas when they're obviously not going after Hamas. As Sam Husseini pointed out, can you tell me how many Hamas members they've even killed? Can you show me an image of one? Nope, not one. Netanyahu's spokesperson, Mark Regev, said that tens of thousands of people can fit into this space. And he's, quote, pretty sure that the people who move there, quote, won't have to move again. Oh, that's nice. We're pretty sure we won't displace you for the 14th time. We're pretty sure. But so hear what they're telling you. So they're telling you you can't go to the north. Everybody in the south now has to start moving to this area. And they're openly saying that tens of thousands can fit there. So do you hear what they're saying? We're only going to allow tens of thousands to remain in this one small spot. That is your future. Everybody else will either be killed, pushed into the sea, or driven into Egypt or somewhere else. There's no way you misunderstand that. They're telling you that. This is exactly what we were all warning about. This is one of the most obvious criminal actions I've ever seen in my life. He told the BBC that, quote, hopefully the area people, the area's people are being urged to move to. Oh, excuse me. The people being urged to move to that area, they'll have tents and a field hospital. So giving them some meek middle, like things that they already had in the areas exploded, but much better. And it's to, to maybe convince some of them to go into this area where they're now. This will be the new Gaza. 
right? This will be, but only allowing tens of thousands. So it'll be much easier for them to control. You won't risk the idea that you're suddenly now losing the Jewish majority in the area. These are all, this is what's going on. All at the expense of actual Palestinian people and their children and their livelihoods and their homes and, you know, displacing them and everything else has been going on. Understand this because you're, pro- I guarantee this will become more of a prominent talking point in the next so many days. You're, as usual, you're going to hear it here before most. And the reality is that tens of thousands will be left and the rest of them will be killed or driven somewhere else, just like we've been warning. Regev, originally from Melbourne, is appearing on TV sets around the world trying to manage Israel's international reputation. After six weeks of images of dead and injured babies and children, the rhetoric of even Israel supporters is hardening. Now, it says, who is Netanyahu? It's funny how that's, that's just the opening. That's, why that's not a huge story right now is beyond me. That's wild. We will, we will come back to this. We're, one of the, let's put it this way. As I keep saying, my interest right now is to save lives. There's a lot of other stuff that we should be talking about too, but this is so pressing and so dire and so immediate. This is the next thing. We need to stop this from happening. And I'm not saying that because you're taking a side or because you think one, the, because these are human beings who are being kettled and manipulated and murdered in front of our eyes while the international human rights you know, rules-based order is telling you it's the right thing to do. It's the good thing. It's the moral thing to completely genocide this population and kill all their children along with them. It's the right thing. It's internationally protected, apparently. So under who is Netanyahu? It says Israel has dropped, is, has been dropping almost a thousand bombs a day. You know, but tactically only hitting Hamas, we're told. Even though they told you it was the, the focus was destruction and not accuracy. It's just amazing how, and again, this is why everybody sees this. In case those who don't see it, hadn't seen it from the beginning, here's the article from The Guardian. Emphasis is on damage, not accuracy. On the 10th. And we've seen that as your, as your governments lie to you about that. It says, in terms of Hamas, despite Netanyahu's personal popularity being low, he is reflecting public sentiment. The idea just that they want Hamas taken out. Now, that's not inaccurate. Obviously, I think the vast majority of people in Israel want to get some revenge for what happened to them, want to stop Hamas from doing something in the future, and so on. It says, in the weeks that I spent in Jerusalem, the writer, uh, Ostjad and and Surat, following the October 7th attack, he said almost every Israeli he spoke to wanted Hamas to be disabled from launching such an attack on Israel. Although there is debate among Israelis as to what exactly that means and whether that is achievable. Very different than arguing carpet bombing exactly where their hostages are being held, their prisoners are being held in Gaza is the right thing to do. But of course, that's how it gets framed. They say everyone supports getting Hamas and this is the only way we're going to do that. So everybody supports what we're doing. That's not true. They are screaming about help getting their families home, not continuing to bomb. The point then is once we have our families home, then then I would argue most of them probably wouldn't quibble about that. But the point is they are not on the same page right now. And yes, his popularity is very low for many reasons. But let's not forget this point again. As even Heret called out on the, uh, two days after their supposed 9-11, making clear you understood, in March of 2019, Netanyahu said on the record, quote, anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state, which they do, despite what they, what Biden tells you they say, or what Trump tells you they say, or what Obama tells you they say, they always have said they do not want this, and they've taken surreptitious action just like this to stop it from ever happening. For the, forever. 
And I'll make that point clearer in a second. But anyone who wants to do that, to thwart Palestine, has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. Quote, this is part of our strategy. So all these people lying, all the Ben Shapiro's that act like this isn't true, it's obvious they were funding and arming Hamas. As, as David Smith pointed out recently, because they wanted to keep them divided. Get Fatah power in West Bank and get Hamas power over here, keep them at odds, so therefore they're always divide and conquer. We don't have to worry about a Palestinian state. That's the point. So the point here is that if you can recognize he has been the one keeping them in power, that is why the Israeli population, who, by the way, is very aware of that, don't want him in power and don't want what's currently happening. This one, just for those, this is the point to show you, even from times of Israel, the day afterward, October 8th, for years, Netanyahu propped up Hamas. Now it's blowing up in our faces. You can't pretend this doesn't exist. Now, under this, it says the handshake that brought hopes for peace. Now, this goes back to the Oslo Accords. For those that don't, there's, it's worth researching if you know, aren't familiar. But this was an earlier, I think one of the earliest, if not the earliest, a discussion about a peace plan, about two-state solution, about drawing these. These are the lines they still point back to for what they argue we still want, even though it's been, Israel has never wanted this. And you're going to see that right now. Or rather specifically, factions of this government have been very actively not allowing this. Now, Yitzhak Rabin, the prime minister of Israel at the time, was meeting with Yasser Arafat and was being mediated by Bill Clinton in this case, but specifically the United States. Here's the one of the famous pictures. Now, as it says, Netanyahu lobbied against this the entire time. And he, at the time, he was the opposition leader, so he wasn't in, in the leadership position just yet. It says, one of Israel's most experienced journalists, Akiva Alder, watched as Netanyahu campaigned against Clinton's peace process. So just never has he wanted this. Eldar told me, the writer, that in his assessment, Netanyahu was, quote, absolutely complicit in incitement against Rabin. Now that's the point over here. It simply says the, where was it? Oh, and, and this is important too. The Oslo peace process had begun. It says the deal included that Israel would hold off building new settlements in specifically Palestinian territories, which is the only place they want to do it, in preparation for the creation of a Palestinian state. As it says, peace was on the horizon. Finally, the United Nations passed Resolution 181 in 1947 that this land would be divided into a Jewish state and an Arab state to be called Palestine, which, by the way, is just giving them back what they had, but far less of it. But they were willing to do this. Clinton had been brutally clear to the Israelis that there should be no new settlements which eat up land earmarked for Palestinian state. Clinton believed that every new settlement made Palestinian state more difficult because it's illegal, and everybody knows that. So the point is, Netanyahu did everything he could to stop this from happening. In fact, began to incite hate and anger against the prime minister in order to stop the process. As they said, he's, this is what the journalist at the time saying he was absolutely complicit in the incitement. He says that at one rally, Netanyahu was filmed on a balcony addressing the anti-Oslo protesters, many of whom were carrying mock coffins for Rabin, their prime minister, and for the Oslo Accords. Or It says Netanyahu addressed another rally at which an effigy of the prime minister at the time, dressed as a Nazi uniform, was held aloft. 
See how this stuff has just always been there? Soon after, Jewish extremist Yigal Amir, who was also opposed to a Palestinian state, attended one of Rabin's peace rallies. He pushed his way through the crowd with a hidden gun, got close enough to Rabin, and then fired three shots into his back, killing Rabin and Israel's best chance for peace. Now it says, after Rabin's assassination, his widow, Lee, blamed Netanyahu and other members of his Likud party for the climate of incitement because he was inciting people. Netanyahu called for reconciliation afterward, of course, as he does similar things today when it comes to Palestine. But Lee said, of course, quote, it's too late. What happened wasn't a bolt of lightning from its heavens, from the heavens. It grew from the soil, a very particular soil. He made that happen, is her point. Israel's Haaretz newspaper made clear itself, which begins to highlight why it seems they want to, the Haaretz paper to go away, who it thought was responsible for cultivating that soil. Here's what it said, quote, Prime Minister and Defense Minister Yitzhak Rabin was slain the wake of systemic incitement led and orchestrated by Netanyahu. It's a direct quote from Haaretz. Orchestrated by Netanyahu. So you could argue indirectly, if not directly, he got him killed. The paper's journalist, Sefi Leshevsky, wrote, quote, at the height of the incitement and under his direction, Netanyahu managed to turn a Zionist hero into a figure at which thousands of people shouted traitor with hoarse throats and leaps of hatred and ecstasy. Now it says Washington was devastated. I don't really believe that, but that's the argument. The White House tried to convince Netanyahu to hold off on new settlements. But of course, Netanyahu refused. And the U.S. was not prepared to do the only thing that would make them listen, threaten or actually cut off military aid. And so began one of the biggest bursts of the new illegal settlements since the creation of the illegal state of Israel. Under Netanyahu, the settlement, settlement enterprise was in full bloom. Under Netanyahu, any Jewish settler, even if they had taken private Palestinian land for which the owners had private property deeds, is entitled to guns if they tell the Israeli army that they feel at risk. The army will also train them. We're seeing that happen today. Under Netanyahu, and realize the main point, even though they legally owned the territory, they didn't care. They still don't care. Under Netanyahu, a settler who shoots dead a Palestinian will rarely, if ever, be brought to court. If they say that they felt threatened by the Palestinian, they will not face prosecution at all. Isn't that nice and convenient? Recently, settle, several settlers, and by the way, you know how that goes down in, in the media and their legal represent and, and the, the stats they tell you? That a terrorist was shot because he was threatening a Jewish citizen. That's how that happened. Doesn't mean that doesn't happen in its own right, but that's how that would get recorded. Several settlers approached a Palestinian who was harvesting his olives on his ancestral grove and shot him dead. They will almost certainly never face any consequences. Palestinians know this, as do settlers. Israel says it has a war against Hamas. This is coming to today. But more than 200 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank since October 7th by Israeli soldiers and settlers. Over my time, the writer writes, in the region, I regularly saw settlers bash or attack Palestinians, and Israeli soldiers stood by and watched. Under Netanyahu, millions of dollars are allocated to give Israelis living in, quote, Israel proper, an incentive to move into the West Bank. They are given tax incentives. It says, under Netanyahu, a system of roads was established exclusively for settlers and non-Palestinians, but totally not an apartheid state, right? Netanyahu supports for the settlements and his arming of settlers is now bearing fruit. 
As former Israeli army commander in Hebron, uh, Yehuda Shal, who founded the human rights group Breaking the Silence, says, quote, the settlers have complete immunity. There is nothing protecting Palestinians from settler terrorism. Remarkably, many people who defend Israel are completely ignorant of exactly what Israel does to enforce its occupation of the Palestinians in the West Bank. In my six years, he writes, living in Israel, he saw Netanyahu take many positions to avoid having to agree to a Palestinian state. This is what continues to happen. The inherently open, honest, obvious, dishonest nature of this, where we know he doesn't want it. He says he doesn't want it. But then when you stand up in front of the UN or in front of the Congress, you say the right thing. And then they parrot what you said and act like only the Palestinians don't want it, even though it's obvious. Their own stated action, their own actions, their own statements make this clear. It says in his second term, starting in 2009, he again boosted the settlement expansion. All legal, never hasn't, it's always been illegal. He always had a public reason why Israel could not make peace. At first, he argued that because Fatah and Hamas were divided, which by the way, let's not forget, the main point, that's his design, right? He created that. Not just because of this statement, but because of the honest reality and then many other stated re- clips where he says the same thing, it is their strategy to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state. So the point here is that by keeping them separate, Fatah, West Bank, Hamas in Gaza, keeping them divided, it maintains that strategy, right? So that's what he argues, act, acting like he wishes it was different, even though he's literally manufacturing that reality. Well, we can't have peace because Fatah and Hamas, they can't work together. That's what Muslims do. Right? That's how this goes. Fatah was in power in the West Bank and Hamas in Gaza. Israel could not possibly make peace with divided Palestinians, of course. Right? Then the Palestinians tried to form a unity government. His response changed, of course. How could Israel possibly make peace with a Palestinian government of which Hamas was a part? Okay, so it wasn't about the division. Right? So now it's about the group you put there. Okay. You see, this is just, it always goes this way. It's sort of like saying, Stop acting in violence and and do political action. Okay, then BDS, terrorism, right? Like it doesn't matter what their actions are. It becomes the narrative shifts and they frame that as the bad thing. It says, then the Palestinians moved to ensure that none of Hamas nominations in the government had any previous role with Hamas or its military operations. So you'd think, okay, we did, we we followed through. We Now we moved them out of the way. Okay, can we have peace now? The Netanyahu government's response. How can we believe that those are not real Hamas people? Okay, so you know they're lying. We don't know for sure. Okay, so obviously it was never going to be allowed to happen. All the while Netanyahu undermined the moderate faction of the Palestinians, right? That's the main point that Dave made in the interview or the the supposed uh, debate. The point being that they have actively in every possible way throughout the years, and you could prove this, their own statements, their own documentation, funded the most radical elements of Islam all around the world to, in fact, undermine the moderates because those people did not want to acquiesce to whatever the foreign powers wanted. So they fund the worst of the worst, which will then do what you're, to some degree, will be pliable, right? Are willing to take power if you give them what they want and so on. And sometimes they lose control of these things. But the point is, they created the problem because the people that were there, the moderate faction, wouldn't, didn't want to be controlled. Or, you know, in a general sense, that's how we see these situations in Syria and elsewhere. And when they tell you they're fighting the terrorists, what they're doing is funding the terrorists to stop the people that at least at the at minimum are less concerning than the people they're funding.
Now it says every new settlement showed Palestinians that the leader in the West Bank, Abbas, was weak. The Israelis gave the moderate faction no successes, economic or otherwise. All the while, Hamas grew stronger. Again, by design. Now, under Netanyahu's third term, some settlers are openly violent. Since October 7th, they have been forcing at gunpoint Palestinians from their homes. You're not hearing this from Joe Biden's mouth, are you? Haaretz newspaper recently ran a story under the headline, quote, settlers have a very effective system for forcing Palestinians out of their homes. Think about how disgusting that is. Almost praising them. Of the increasing violence of Jewish settlers in the West Bank, the paper said, quote, herding sheep into others' fields, preventing access to water, blocking roads, killing animals, and breaking into homes in the middle of the night. You know, democracy. These and other tactics are part of the daily terror perpetrated by settlers in Palestinian villages. That was written in Israeli corporate media. Haaretz. Isn't it amazing that we don't hear this and we don't care? Or people pretend like that? Or you get called a racist for even acknowledging it's happening? You somehow, we are the racists for pointing out this kind of bigotry and apartheid? It's desperation. Now, I want to point something else out that I think is very important. This is from Off Guardian. The title is, Is Gaza Genocide Being Used to Push Fake Multipolar World as a Solution? Both in quotes. Now, it's important. St- it's a comment and thought. And it's something that we've also, in the whole time, been maintaining. What's the right way to frame it? Like the, the possibility that this is about something larger or that the very thing that we're seeing, as I keep pointing out, is something we're supposed to be looking at. That, by the way, though, does not mean we should not be pointing at it. Or it also does not mean that even if that is what's happening, that we can't acknowledge a win in that exact reality. Like, do you think they wanted to expose this? This is the point they keep trying to show people, right? The fact that we're seeing BBC and CNN grudgingly or for whatever reason start pointing out the problem, I don't think that's honest. I don't think anybody who with two brain cells are up together think that's honest. But nonetheless, it's still going, we should still go, yes, we force them to have to admit that, even if they're going to admit it in, in interest of their next agenda or to use that truth to roll us into something else. We just have to be aware of those things. But this, regardless of why it's happening, still from a Palestinian's plight position should be going, yes, finally, we made them point it out. But this is a, this is a great point. So the comment somebody sent into the gar- off Guardian, it says, I see more people now saying the point is division and distraction. And I agree. And it's gratifying to see people waking to new realities. Now, it's not all, we shouldn't always assume that just because something's happening or what we agree with that it's immediately division. There are situations where things just happen for their own interests and so on. But it says, however, I think it may be even one step more cynical and diabolical. He says, I believe from what I see that we may soon witness a flip of the script. I believe Israel, this person says, may soon be dropped by everyone but the so-called alt-right who will elect to go down with her ship. Interesting point. I see that as a highly, that seems likely, a possibility. I believe the majority of the media will fall behind the so-called silent majority of ordinary people and begin more and more to condemn Israel. And that's my point right there. Now, let's just say that's exactly what's happening, right? That the alt-right, which I argue are high, anybody in the, in the extreme sides of the paradigm are not honestly engaging, in my opinion, whether they know that or not. They're blinded by their partisanship, the two-party illusion. But that they lean into this, the evangel- evangelical right, even though the Zionists hate them, and they're leaning in with them and saying, we all support you. And the point is that then the media begins to highlight what Israel's doing more and more. Now, does that mean we should suddenly stop pointing out what Israel's doing? 
that mean we should, does that mean we should suddenly not highlight Israel's crimes? Well, obviously not. I know I'm not saying that's what Off Guardian's suggesting either. I just think it's important that we don't fall one way or the other. It's every, not everything is so binary. We have to acknowledge one that what they're pointing out is true. Whether CNN or anybody else is pointing it out, we go, yes, that's what they've always been doing. This is what Israel's government's capable of, but be wary about why they're suddenly showing you that. That's with my line from the beginning. <clears throat> now it says, I, she, the person goes on, I believe the majority of the media will fall behind the so-called silent majority. Eventually the politicians will, quote, reluctantly follow suit. Now that, I, I, that, I, feel, I see that's a hard thing to go along with especially since these politicians are largely in places because of the lobbying groups that allow that to happen. But it says Israel will be condemned in the UN and will, and there will be a, be promises of punishment, war crime trials, et cetera, which again, whether or not it even amounts to actual accountability, we should be okay with that. In no way am I talking about anything that involves the WHO or the UN and some kind of sovereignty violating concept. But my point is that that's why these groups in any normal sense were ever created. The idea that this is the only way that these people can be, and all I want to see is people like Netanyahu in a position of a government who we know broke the law held accountable for those crimes. But at that same time, we should see that and go, okay, why would they allow this and what are they trying to accomplish on the back of it? Right. Both things can happen simultaneously. We can see accountability, which I highly doubt is even going to happen. And if they do allow it, it's probably because they're using that to roll into something else. But we can see that accountability and hopefully the action through it and then also still be on guard to what they'll use from it. I think that's very obvious. But it says, I believe this may be presented to the masses as a triumph for the common man. And in a sense, it will be, even though we can see that they're using it against us. And we will all be flattered that our protests and righteous anger have been prevail have prevailed. But in reality, this will all have been planned. Again, even if that is the case, to have an entity like the Israeli Zionist government that has been acting with impunity for 75 years and murdering people and stealing from people and keeping the Palestinian people in a dire situation for this long. So regardless, we have to acknowledge that as a win. They're only admitting it because of groups like Off Guardian, because of groups like you out there who are making them have to shift the narrative. I'm, I feel like I've made that point too many times already. The point is, there is a positive, even if it's designed. It says, on the back of this, I believe the controlled independent media will join with the enlightened mainstream, which again, you know that will never happen from this side. So whoever they're seemingly highlighting here, I, I could point out plenty that I agree would do just that in calls for action to be taken to prevent such abuses and those done by Israel ever happening again. Now that's important because we have to understand to then go, please UN initiate more metrics of control. So this doesn't happen. Hardly anybody calling for that does not see the point. And that's what our guardians really trying to make here. I think there are already things in law right now. It's like, it's like creating a law for something that already exists. I made the point about lynching, for example, I think was it with Biden that did that. Where you pass a law specifically naming lynching as a crime, well, you don't need that law. There are already laws in place that make violent action against people illegal, murder illegal. You don't need to make it highly, that's a political thing, right? So my point is, right now, there are already crimes against murder. There are already crimes against genocide. There are already situations and bodies in place to hold people like that accountable. We should not ask for anything different. We should simply ask for equal application of international law, which I do believe is important. 
But it says, I believe the masses will support this in the false belief a new age of hope is dawning. Now, that's an interesting statement. I don't think we should ignore the possibility. Like, think about the idea that, hypothetically, isn't isn't that what we're all trying to achieve? Not some false age of hope, but the idea that we want to progress to something past this kind of, which, again, maybe it's not even possible in the reality of how human species works. That we're all, it's, it's kind of a yin-yang reality. We're not going to get rid of terrorism. We're not going to get rid of anger or hate or negative. Those are always going to be there. It's an ebb and flow. It's about constantly maintaining the good in all of that, right? So my point only is to say that it's, it's like we shouldn't, I guess, n- not hope for that. We all want there to be some, per- but I, I agree. I think that the idea that they can present that to you will be something they try to shove in front of you at the last moment to make, to kind of circumvent any positive change. They always have done that. They being the the hierarchy enslaving you. On that note, which I'll show you next, actually, since I brought it up, I'll show you the shirt that we're selling for that. But it says, in reality, this is the final part of the, the comment given to Off Guardian. I believe this will be Agenda 2030, or when Agenda 2030 begins to be seriously introduced, and large central authority given to the UN, which nobody should be hoping for, allowing, asking for, or yeah, or allow. Or perhaps a newly created body at first in the pretense of holding nations accountable and only later will the truth become obvious to us all. But by then it'll be too late. Wholeheartedly agree. That's my point about why we don't need literally anything. Just simply the honest application of things like the Constitution, right? Or or really in that case, the acknowledgement of those universal rights. But it says, I do not claim this will definitely happen, but I fear it may. But on that note really quickly, if you want to, Check out some of our clothing since I mentioned that. Don't forget, we still have Truth Clothing, by the way. It looks like people haven't checked that out in a while. With our Question Everything t-shirts for women, hoodies, all sorts of stuff. And then we also have our Big uh, uh, big Frog, right? I always want to call it Blue Frog. Where we have our Free Speech Absolutist t-shirts where it says, I support T-Lab on the back. And then the one we just brought in that says, They, the hierarchy enslaving you. I like that. I think it's important. Put these in there if you'd like to check one out. Because we have big plans, ladies and gentlemen. We want to change a lot. Now, oh, I'm glad I forgot. So going on from their article, then this is off Guardian writing. Now it says, is there any truth to that? It's, they go on to write, there's certainly truth. The controlled media are increasingly giving a lot more space to the plight of the people of Gaza than in, is usual in their coverage. Which I, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen any for that, for that matter. Like not, not like this. But as we pointed out, the BBC highlighting things they're lying about. The New York Times says the war turns Gaza into a graveyard for children. Like, they've never gone this far. CNN. It says, uh, interviewed Doctors Without Borders who detailed desperation and horror. I mean, we've gone over most of these. It says, this certainly is a considerable amount of mainstream coverage for a suppressed minority to get. I agree. Compared to, and contrast this with the same media treatment of Yemen. We point that very many times. They don't, nobody even cares. The starvation of Yemen has been going on forever. They barely even talk about it. The BBC, and again, I argue this is largely because people, before the media shifted into making this clear, the people were already calling this out. That's what I, at least in my perception, the media was desperately in the first week, two weeks, pushing this hard in one direction. Yet a lot of the human rights groups were already calling this out. And a lot of other groups were seeing it. I think that I think this is a, a level of desperation first, and now they're trying to marshal this into something they can use. That's kind of how I've seen it from the beginning. Just my opinion. I'm sure you guys feel your own ways about it. But it says the BBC Verify example was taken up by uh, notionally alter, uh, alternative media channels. 
as evidence the mainstream was seeing the light. <laughs> Anybody saying it like that is, not, in my opinion, they're naive. To argue the mainstream just suddenly sees it like they're honest but weren't able to discern it before, that's a very naive respect, perception, in my opinion, which is what they're pointing out here. For example, Novara Media released a video entitled, Now Even the BBC Seeing Through Israel's Lies. Now, I framed the BBC point in it. I said even BBC calling out their lies is very different. Calling them out with an agenda behind it, but seeing through the lies, well, that suggests that they have some kind of insight. But it says, really, this level of naivety we feel appropriate, let's do better. It says, the controlled media are showing us the evils in Gaza because for some twisted reason their controllers want us to see and deplore the very slaughter they have created. Now, I, I do, I agree with that. But I don't always think it's all-encompassing. Like, the only time we can ever see it is when they let us. I do think that that's very much controlled. But I do, I leave open the possibility that there are examples of things that actually organically break through. But point being, I agree with what they're saying there. The big question that should be flashing in pink neon in all of our minds is why? As we've been asking, why do they want you to be shocked, traumatized, sympathetic toward the, or their own victims? Is this about cynically playing both sides to keep the controversy at a boiling point? The ancient plot divide and rule? First step in any forever war? It's just one of the possibilities. Or is, is the person's comment correct? Is the first part of the bait and switch aimed at persuading people that they want and need the Great Reset's brave new multipolar world? as the way to stop the killing. which But that's interesting to me, because see, this is the point I think is different. I don't see, well, there's two ways to put this. I don't think, first of all, that what we're discussing as the Great Reset is in any way a multipolar world. I think that's the illusion. That's like saying sustainability when what they're doing is the exact opposite. This is an authoritarian, top-down control structure under the guise you saw. It's like the EU, for example. To pretend that every country has their own autonomy these days under the yoke of the EU is ridiculous. In this case, I don't believe that the Great Reset is applying, but but the point is that's what they're selling it as, right? So maybe they're trying to trick you using this into taking the bait for what is what that perception. But the way they seem to frame this is that that is that the multipolar world itself is the trap or the problem. As and I think that's that doesn't seem to add up with the idea of what's currently happening. To my, my opinion is that the Zionist agenda is the opposite of the multipolar world. Whether I, I don't. I don't think either of these things end up in your best interest because the governments will manipulate them however they need to, right? This is where it comes into personal freedom and the idea of, you know, an anarchistic mindset about no rulers, but, you know, rules, but no rulers. Anyway, different conversation. But my point in this is that I think it's interesting that we should not then, there are things that could potentially benefit people that we might then avoid because we're so worried we might be tricked, right? It's important to be open to possibilities, but questioning everything at every step. That's the right way to look at this. Are they hoping we will all, all be so traumatized by their endless snuff films and death and destruction that we'll grab at the first offered chance of peace? Sounds kind of like the COVID-19 discussion, right? The locks to the, the mass formation concept where they get you in such a dist distorted, angry, unhappy, and desperate place that you'll take the first offer. That makes a lot of sense. And they said, even if it involves the very people we know are problematic. They said, is this indeed how the global managers intend to finally shed their collective West skin and transform into the what they claim as a multipolar world of the fourth industrial revolution? The new inclusive, equitable, and far worse tyranny. Could even the manipulators of this sad world be that cynical and duplicitous? And they say, well, it's, you know, it's too early to say, but we should consider all these. It's an excellent article. I think it's very important that we are constantly questioning all of this. forgot what I had that open for in any sense.
Jeremy Scahill points out two points before we jump into the one of the main points of today, which is the children human trafficking overlap here, or rather organ trafficking. Jeremy points out Israel defense minister says that after the so-called truce, the enemy will meet first the bombs of the Air Force. And after that, the shells of the tanks and the artillery and the scopes of the DN, the D9 bulldozers. And finally, gunfire of the infantry troops. We will stop in the, we will fight, excuse me, in the entire strip. Yeah, we know that by now. But just so you make sure you understand, this is obviously taking over the entire area. It's about all of Palestine, not just Hamas. That's very clear. I mean, that's made clear by the fact that they're continuing to bomb and attack in the West Bank. During what we tell, we, we, they claim is a so-called truce or ceasefire. Are they at a ceasefire with Hamas? Okay, then if that's the case, then why are they claiming they're bombing Hamas in the West Bank? And if they're not claiming that, then why are they murdering people in the West Bank for no reason? Right? Either they're violating the ceasefire by doing that because Hamas is there, or they're just hurting Palestinians and pretending like that's not part of their ceasefire. All of these things are so obvious. Your point is they are not going to stop. They're telling you the moment this goes away, we're going to go right back to killing them. And when they say the enemy, what we just saw. Their bombs, their shells, their artillery, they're killing Palestinians and whoever else is there alike, prisoners included. So they're all the enemy. And so you understand it, even the New York Times, as we saw before, Gaza civilians under Israeli barrage are being killed at a historic pace. In less than two months, more than twice as many women and children have been reported killed in Gaza than in Ukraine after two years. So all of the children being killed and all the attacks, you know, what's happening with that? Right? Why are so many bodies being targeted? Why is it so indiscriminate? Maybe there's more to this than we realize. So first, let's play this. As I said, this is what I was trying to highlight for people the day before the so-called ceasefire. They were literally scooping up a bunch of children before they were going to give back a bunch of children. In and of itself, that's just despicable. But here is from Al Jazeera. We have some Palestinian uh, prisoners and minors and women who are being released from Israeli jails. And then, on the other hand, the raids and arrests continue right across the occupied West Bank. That is correct. If you look at what is happening now, what's been happening over the past few days, for every family that is celebrating the return of a loved one, there is a family that is suffering the detention of someone. In harsh terms, if you look at what's happened with the regards to the swap deal as a numbers game, the Israelis have released 117 Palestinians in the last three days. And that same time, they've detained 116 new Palestinian prisoners in areas across the occupied West Bank. Think about how absurd that is. Why, where's the international community on that? Why are we pretending like this is some kind of an exchange? It's not an exchange if all they're doing is giving you people while scooping up the same amount. Are we, are we going to pretend that they just, just so happened to find 116 criminal actions that are exactly the number that they wanted to get? I mean, really? When I pointed this out, one of, some of the comments were like, they don't just grab people for no reason. I mean, they quite literally do. Per Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, United Nations. And that's one of the main points we're going to get into today before we even get into the, the organ trafficking aspect. All, everyone's going to push back because they think it's, you're racist or you're anti-Semite or whatever it is. Even though I'm going to show you that in 2010, the United Nations openly called them out for trafficking organs from Palestinians. But apparently it's racist and, and, and not proven today. 
There have been raids ongoing since last night into this morning. They really haven't stopped ever since the war began. They've intensified. They were ongoing before the events of October 7th. But just in the last 24 hours, overnight, 64 people have been detained and are now in Israeli custody. So that's 64 more, right? So they're now, they have now detained more people than they've released. So from some kind of arbitrary number, if somebody's keeping track, you know, like, like, like it almost, it feels very petty, right? It's about giving them back while knowing that the people in Gaza are very aware that you just took more than you gave back, which is the, the, the only reason people argued this was even done in order to get back the people that they're illegally detaining. So it's, it is a poke in the eye. It is a slap in the face. It is an insult to what they're doing. And they know that. And, but the question is, as we get into the next topic, is there something else part of going on here? Is there more to this? So these raids, these detentions, this pressure being brought down on the occupied West Bank has not stopped as part of Israel's occupation in these territories. And to that end, these have also been incredibly deadly. At least 239 people have lost their lives in the occupied West Bank where there is no Hamas since the events of October 7th. Israel often identifies itself as the only, a self-proclaimed, the only democracy in the Middle East. But in parallel, it has to be remembered that Palestinians living under Israeli occupation live under a military rule that exists in parallel to what Israel sees itself as in terms of its democratic values as it proclaims to be. Hmm. It's just trying to stumble through that and try to pretend that still means democracy. It's just pathetic. Everybody sees this. And I mean, it's, it's, I mean, in all of my career doing this, I rarely make statements, everybody, and I mean it when I'm saying this. And of course, I should be more specific and say the majority. That's what I should say. But my point in saying that is that it's just that clear. This, it's, it's around the world. It seems ridiculously obvious. The majority of Israelis, the majority of Americans, regardless of your political standing, are very aware of what we're looking at right now. Now, here is another example. This is from Helena Koban. Writer in World Affairs, form, uh, the, the globalist, globalities.org, says, I just want to get clear about the Israelis releasing Palestinian prisoners. They have now rapidly released 150 since Friday. But in the West Bank, they've not attained the same number in more than four days. But it's worse than that. She says, since October 7th, they've arrested several thousand of additional Palestinians, as we've told you, over 2,000, I think, in the West Bank and in Gaza, where the IDF had instructed all Palestinians to leave north and, and to travel south down a specific street, the IDF then established one or more checkpoints on the Salahidin Street to do screenings of those evacuating per instructions. According to uh, this account right here, describe what happened there. He was pulled away from his family and bussed into Nakeb for interrogations as he was trying to flee, as they told him to. Beaten seriously there until his well-connected editors at the New York Times and New Yorker, who have made claims to this, were able to get the IDF to free him. He reported that around 200 other Palestinians were arrested with him, and as he left, their vehicles with large numbers of additional Palestinian prisoners were arriving. So how many Palestinian detainees is Israel holding it, right now in Negev? Right, These are people that were, were picked up as they were randomly walking in the area people were being bombed and shot. There's, who's reporting on them? How do we even know? Do they have families? Like, think of, This is so wildly unaccountable, and they're very aware of this. What's happening to them? If they have no families or anybody who even knows they were taken, what happens to them then? As I'm insinuating for the next part of the conversation, I have a few observations, she says. Number one, that for an occupying power to take people detained in an occupied zone back to the occupier's own territory is already a war crime. 
based on global opposition to the Nazis' practice of doing that. Number two is that this large-scale roundup of Palestinian men by the IDF is like what happened in 1982 in West Bank and what the IDF did to Lebanese men during their long occupation of South Lebanon. Number three is that this practice of screening out all men from a community was widely used by the British in Palestine, Kenya, Malaya, and every everywhere else where the fading British Empire was desperately trying to hold on. Same colonial practices, same in immense harm, but hopefully a common outcome of liberation very soon. No, I appreciate the hopeful note. As the Euromed monitor points out. Okay, so first of all, just recognize the, the egregious violation of any kind of, it's all, it's, it's just so blatantly false. They're pretending like they're going through these motions while they're just taking anybody they possibly can at this point. Now, what is happening to the ones that we don't know about? I think that's an important question. Euromed monitor, who here's the actual article for them right here. Initial committee, international committee must investigate Israel's holding of dead bodies in Gaza. They have raised concerns about organ theft from the deceased, citing reports from Gaza's medical professionals who conducted rapid examinations on those released bodies. Now, if you remember the image we're looking at here, that is the bot. Those are the bodies that they stole from Shifa. I, arguably, people thought in the beginning it was because they didn't want people to see how many people were killed during their illegal operation of the hospital, claiming they were going after Hamas, as well as the people that were killed because they weren't able to get fuel or water or anything they needed to help the people that were dying in the hospital. The point, though, they took them all, and they only gave them back recently, and that's what they're seeing. That's what the burial was here. Now, what we're being told is people that investigated the bodies found that they were missing organs. His examinations revealed signs of organ theft, such as missing uh, cochleas. I think that's in the throat. Remember correctly? Hold on. Or is it the eyes as well? Inner ear, excuse me. And corneas, the eye, vital organs, livers, kidneys, hearts, and so on. Okay, so at this point, you have doctors on the ground who are saints. Now, obviously, people are going to say they're lying, they're part of Hamas, without any evidence to back that up, but certainly possible. Because we're objective and we can argue that, but you don't get that on the other side, of course, in the paradigm, I mean. Mohammed El-Kurd points out, and he's a writer from the Occupied Jerusalem, correspondent at The Nation, Monda Weiss, Euromed Human Rights Monitor's report concerns that the Israeli regime stole organs from these corpses, citing medical professionals. Now it says the corpses subjected to organ theft were themselves stolen from Al-Shifa and the Indonesian hospital, as doctors and journalists have reported that most of the media didn't care about. According to Euromed Monitor, quote, the Israeli army also dug up and confiscated the bodies from mass graves that were established more than 10 days ago in one of Al-Shifa's complex courtyards. Although the Israeli military has returned many of the stolen corpses, dozens remain currently in custody, right? Why? That's very strange. Now think of the outrage from either religion, right? From a Muslim perspective or a, Jew a, Jew a Jewish perspective, right? To not release the body, especially in a certain time frame, is a big deal. And or whether or not you're religious, it should matter. These are your family members, but they're being held. Now, maybe that means that there's something more that was done to them. It says the theft of dead Palestinian bodies can lo has long been an Israeli policy that serves two purposes, transforming the corpses into bargaining chips for political gain and collectively punishing bereaved Palestinian families by depriving them of the ability to give their loved ones proper burials. The legality of such necroviolent practices has been upheld both by the Israeli government and the Supreme Court, but they don't care. They do it anyway. Reports of Israeli organ theft, not scarce. And this is one of the, uh, the, one of the most prominent, but not the, we'll get into a lot more. 
In 2009, The Guardian reported that the Israeli that is Israel has admitted pathologists harvested organs from dead Palestinians and others without the consent of their families. They, they've cited, quote, other uh, over their dead bodies, a book by Israeli doctor in which the, the revealed that the organs taken from dead Palestinians were utilized in medical research at Israeli universities, medical facilities and were uh, faculties and were transplanted into Jewish Israeli patients bodies. That's an Israeli writer. Yerim Monitor writes, even more concerning are admissions made by Yuda Heese, the former director of Israel's Abu Kabir Institute of Forensic Medicine, about the theft of human tissues, organs, skins from dead Palestinians over a period of time without their relatives' knowledge or approval. As Israeli investigative television series entitled Orly and Guy Return with Answers broadcasted an episode about the Israeli Institute of Forensic Medicine, which seems to be the running theme in all this, which dealt in detail with the illicit harvesting of organs from the bodies of dead Palestinians, immigrants, foreign workers, and more. By the way, a side note, apparently there's an like a, a overwhelming... Foreign workers are, are fleeing in droves from Israel right now, largely because they're seeing that they're, gonna, they're the ones that have been taken advantage of, seeing that they're the people they don't care about, in the sense, possibly more. People who have been brought this, this issue to light, including myself, the writer here, have continually been subjected to harassment and punishment and accused of blood libel, which, by the way, is a claim that I, it's such an interesting thing that all these terms are specifically tailored around the idea that Jewish people are being attacked. I guess it talks about them using Christian blood for some kind of ritual or something like that. That's where the term comes from. But it basically just means a lie, apparently. One example of this is a, a Montgomery County teacher who has been put on leave over social media posts decrying Israeli necroviolence. The Washington Post's Nicole Ashbury reported on this incident and, and falsely claimed that, quote, there is no evidence of organ harvesting despite ample evidence, which I'll show you next. Now think about this. The Washington Post on the record saying there's no evidence, you know, other than the United Nations. Totally not evidence, though. They literally explicitly tell you they're stealing organs. But, you know, apparently this very high level journalist just missed that. Do you believe that? And nobody smart would believe that. We're getting into all the rest of them, too. Now, they gave you some great examples. I think that's important that they give you the actual information. You can read this article for yourself, much of which we just went over. They're calling for an international investigation to investigate this. Now, let's talk about, oh, well, first, before we get into the history of this, here is a clip from a famous model. Her name is Gigi, I think, Gigi Hadid. Here's the Newsweek, by the way, already running interference from yesterday. Here, we're explaining the allegations. No, we'll, we'll explain it to you. They're going to try to gaslight you. Here's what Gigi was saying on TikTok, I believe. This disturbing video where health officials admitted that Israeli authorities had harvested the organs of dead Palestinians for years without their consent. No, 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 it just says they used to take organs from dead dead bodies of Palestinians. Now, right there, you some people may even argue, well, you know, if it was some like a terrorist or whatever else, then we would might as well take advantage. But that the point is not necessarily about, but first of all, that shouldn't be legal anyway. Obviously, there are still rights. But the point is about whether or not this might be done or people might be killed or actions might be taken in order to lean in to that necessity. 
That's the real point. And then the immigrants and foreign workers. That's the point I was making a second ago. The biggest in the world, the biggest market in the world for these skin grafts and whatever else they're talking about. It says, what is the organ donation rate given the population of Israel? It's, it, she says very low. I, I looked into this as well. Apparently there's a, a very obvious problem with, with Jewish Israelis ever wanting to donate their organs. They hardly ever donate. Right. So now that in and of itself may be the reason why this is not necessary. You know, that they need to, to make sure they can, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't, we shouldn't even need to assume in all this. I'm going to prove the reality to you right now. Right. So she came out and said that. Which, you know, she's got a huge reach. So suddenly, all of the corporate media gets trotted out. Now, imagine how crazy it is that you can literally go through almost every year going back. And every year you can find investigations, overall work, people pointing out that Israel is tied to this, Israel caught for that. And yet right now, when this comes out, what do they do? Do they do their research? Do they do their due diligence and find the evidence of the UN openly acknowledging this has happened? No, either they don't do that or they don't care that it's there and they gaslight. They come in and say fake news like we just said from the Washington Post. That's how embarrassing this is. Again, even though you can literally find the conversation about illegal Israeli trafficking of organs of dead Palestinians, kidnapped and otherwise, on the United Nations. So what you need to think about in this moment is how this is everywhere. We are in an example in the world right now. And this is my point about like the, the, guardian, the off-guardian point. Yes, we should be worried about how this might be used against us. But we need to at least take a win where we can see it right now, where obviously we are watching this stuff break down in front of us where we're watching the corporate media still try to carry lines that we can prove they're lying about based on their work from before. Like they're drowning in this right now. So what you need to recognize is these journalists who are the ones that will shout you down and get you censored either don't have any clue what they're talking about or don't care to research. We live in this very controlled, manipulative world and it's very it's becoming impossible not to see the outlines and the strings. So they argue harvesting allegations explained. Allegations that Israel harvested the organs of Palestinians based on a true story published 14 years ago have resurfaced. Oh, is that what's happening? The same old one from 2009? No, I'll go way before that and way after. But it says on Monday, Gigi Hadid, supermodel, was among the latest to share these allegations. Just allegations, they want you to think. Taking to Instagram, she reshared a video, an older video, where that, you, that author, that uh, researcher admitted it. So I guess that's not enough for them. The conflict between Israel and Hamas, uh, blah, blah, blah. They're just kind of jumping into this. They haven't said it's false yet. The daughter of American Palestinian real estate. She's, you know, of course, you got to point out that she's got connections to Palestine. And her sister have long been outspoken for Palestinians. It says, while the content Hadid shared is based on facts. See, that's grudgingly admitted. Established, and way down here. Established following a leak to an Israeli news source. It's the only reason we knew about it. Her post did not include information such as when the allegations were made or how authorities responded. Right. So does that matter? She's pointing out that it's a fact. Obviously, context matters, but she did not. She, she didn't suggest this is from today. 
So you're tr- you get the point. She says, while there are no reports that such practices happen in Gaza, the West Bank, false. The established history risks being folded into misinformed. Oh, I see. So the truth might be misused. Therefore, we should constantly gaslight around it. That's what they're doing. We can't tell people shots are killing people because that might be used to create vaccine hesitancy. It's the same argument. The truth is dangerous. Yeah, we know. We know it's dangerous to you. That's So the point is then they go on to, I'm going to show you the truth of this. It's very obvious. First of all, let's go back and let's go through the time frame. Here's just one from 2017. This is from an Egypt platform. Israel harvests Palestinian martyrs, organs, so people that are killed. Here's Reuters from 2015. Israel blasts Palestinians after accusations of organ harvesting. Lighter in the beginning. Point being, Palestinians have long accused them of that. But of course, for some people listening, they're going to say they were lying about it. But just realize, this is not unique to certain individual examples. It's been an ongoing open secret. Palestinians accusing them. So we're talking about the West Bank and Gaza. That's the point, because that is happening. Here is the Huffington Post, 2010. Israel admits harvesting organs from dead bodies without permission. Yeah. Open discussion. 2010. 2009. And this is the one, oh, excuse me, this one is also 2010. Five Israelis charged with organ trafficking by the Israeli police. Now, that doesn't then immediately make the Israeli government complicit. But, you know, what's interesting is it would for anybody else in the bad guy side, right? This was Lindsey Graham and the person had an Iranian sounding name. He'd be like, Iran did it. We know for sure. That's how that works. But see, we're not dumb like that. We're not ignorant like Lindsey Graham. We're going to say, well, they're Israelis. So it's possible that they're connected to this, that it's a larger operation, but we don't know for sure. What we do know is that it adds to the bigger picture. They're going to see a running theme of Israelis around the world operating organ trafficking rings. But, you know, you have other ethnicities and groups doing the same. But it makes it more interesting when you can prove per the United Nations that they have or any other arguments they've admitted to. But 2010. Okay, here's the one that everybody knows about. 2009. Doctor admits Israeli pathologist harvested organs without consent. And they, even their fact check article was forced to admit, yeah, yeah, they admitted that. And it's pretty gross. <clears throat> the point is Dr. Yehuda Hiss, former head of the Abu Kabir Forensic Institute. You're going to hear that same name and that same group as a running theme. So it's interesting how they get caught and they admit to it, yet weirdly keep happening. That's the point. But yes, they were caught admitting they were taking organs of different types from dead bodies without the consent of the parent. That enough should be important. Here's, an, here's a study, in fact, from National Library of Medicine, NIH, PubMed, Pub 2007. Israeli transplant surgeon arrested for suspected organ trafficking. Right, so you see how this goes? Obviously, a long and connected point. Here's Haaretz from 2005. The same person, same location. Abu Kabir, head only, reprimanded for illegal organ removal. Okay, wait a minute. So we're told that these high-minded, high, highly educated expert journalists dove into the story and said, no, 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 2009, they admitted, but that's it. There's no more evidence. The rest of it's unknown. Okay, well, obviously not. Did I just stumble across? They, like they're, <laughs> I just can't make fun of them enough for how dumb that is. Here's Haaretz. Like they didn't look first for Israeli media. The same group, the same people. This is the same location. Okay, so we're being told that in 2005, they got caught, but they reprimanded them for illegally removing organs from dead bodies. Okay. Then in 2009, they get caught for it. In that moment, we don't go, okay, you've already been caught before and we didn't even do anything about it. Of course not. 
because this is being covered up. There's a big operation here. It's a hugely profitable business. Here from uh, Haaretz as well. This one, 2014. Oh, and so my point, th this one went all the way back to 2005. Now we're going to start again going back the other direction to show you where this is prominently being used. New York Times finds, quote, disproportionate role of Israelis in world organ trafficking. Nothing to see here. Here is Haaretz as well from 2018. Israel suddenly becomes the hub in the international organ trade over the past decade. Oh, let me think. Let me make sure I don't have anything highlighted. It says, and according, according to a 2015 European Parliament report, Israeli physicians and patients played a major role in the international organ trade, initially reaching Eastern Europe and later to other locales. The report says Israel played a key role in the trade that developed in Azerbaijan, Cyprus, Kosovo, the United States, Costa Rica, Panama, Ecuador, and Colombia. Interesting how they can do that, even though there's a 2008 law on the books that, that makes that illegal. That's why it's being done outside. But weirdly enough, you've got Israel playing a key role in a business that they've outlawed in their country in other people's countries. It's not hard to understand. Here's the Washington Post. This one is from 2018. Quote, a cruel harvest of the poor. An Israeli, but not, not, not the government in either, this, either of these cases. Well, this one is Israel's government here in the, as a state, but this one was here. No, I guess those are right. Those are both the government. So this one's not. This is about an Israeli individually. An Israeli allegedly behind human organ black market arrested in Cyprus. Wait a minute. Didn't we just? Yeah, we did. We pointed out that the Israeli government was working in Cyprus. According to a European Parliament report. Okay. And then this random Israeli, totally not connected to the same thing, gets arrested in Cyprus for black market organ trading. Yeah, but we're, we're, nothing to see here. Let's keep ignoring it all. Because if you point any of this out, you're a racist. Here is 2018. Israeli behind organ trafficking ring arrested. Here in 2019. Kazakhstan holds doctor over Israel-linked organ harvesting scheme. Same people, same groups, same discussion. Right? I mean, it's just, it's obscenely obvious. Jerusalem Post. Princeton students are being taught. This is 2023, October, August 7th. They're being taught that IDF harvests Palestinian organs in one of their courses. Do you know why? Because it's a provable fact. I mean, this is, it's insulting. And I'm not saying that because Princeton teaches it. We should question everybody. No entity is outside the reach of being called, you know, questioned. My point is, this school is teaching it and the professors, professors teaching it because you can prove it. That doesn't mean because they teach it, you can prove it. But this is the case. A course at, Palace, at Princeton University will include a book in its syllabus that claims that the IDF has been harvesting Palestinian organs. Yeah, it's really stupid, isn't it? It's very, very obvious. Okay, to the only, the, I shouldn't say the only point because we should question everybody. My point in doing this is to reach not you guys, but the average person out there that thinks all oh, this is so fake that none of it should be, this is to them, some from the UN has standing. And it really should for anybody. But those of us that are in the know about the reality of the world, at least as we see it, realize question everything applies to everybody, including me, including the United Nations. But as usual, like I say with Wikipedia, it doesn't mean it's true. It just means mass adoption. Same point here. From 2010, January 29th, 2010. 
Israeli illegal trafficking in organs of dead and kidnapped Palestinian victims. So the Washington Post, Newsweek, they just missed this. Are we going to pretend that they didn't know it was there? Or worse, do you think they saw it and just pretended they didn't see it? I mean, it's how embarrassing. It says, as if it's not, the first part is important as well. You won't even hear this much stated from the UN today. This part is where it gets into, yes, they kidnapped them, and yes, they stole their organs. But here's what it says first. As if it's not enough for Israel. As if it's not enough for Israel to create a state of immigrants on 80% historic Palestine. So right there, guys, it's not just Gaza. The UN has always maintained that this is all occupied Palestine. I said that on a radio show. I think it was the final countdown. And they, you know, and I don't begrudge somebody or, you know, people don't know all the stuff. They push back on it. Say, no, I don't think they mean. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Yep. It's all, it's not just Gaza. It's all of Palestine. But it says, as if it's not enough for Israel to create an illegal state on 80% historic Palestine against the will of its indigenous people, the Palestinians and, and expel through ethnic cleansing and massacres, which are fully documented yet not pointed out today, apparently, most of the Palestinians from their homeland that became Israel to be followed by the destruction of their homes and villages and the erasure of their history in their country and all indications that they had ever been present before or present there that people like Ben Shapiro lie to you about. Number two, as if it's not enough for Israel to occupy the rest of Palestine, what is now known as the occupied Palestinian territories, to again create another wave of Palestinian refugees, to confiscate more land, to establish illegal Israeli settlements, to oppress, humiliate, and control their lives, their movements, their very means of existence, to force them into total submission, as if it's not enough for Israel to create the largest open-air prison in the world. Yes, all facts through the construction of a wall that completely excludes the occupied Palestinian territories from the rest of the world. Its consequences amount to an act of siege and economic genocide. Yep. A wall that the International Court of Justice has ruled to be illegal and should be demolished, as if it's not enough for Israel to let loose hordes of marauding gangs of Israeli illegal settlers, as to launch pogroms against Palestinians to burn their crops when ready for harvest, to uproot olive trees, olive trees, tens of thousands of years old, create more illegal settlements on any Palestinian land these gangs may decide upon, all under the protection of the IDF. So, as if that's not enough for Israel, today, 2010, and still to this day, it is the turn of the dead, kidnapped and killed Palestinians. Their human organs, as reported in the press, can be a source of immense wealth, through illegal trafficking in the world market. Israeli physicians, medical centers, rabbis, and the Israeli army may be involved, according to reports published in the Swedish press and criminal investigations in the United States. After Israeli physicians remove organs they think marketable, the soldiers bury the bodies in graves that carry only numbers and no names. Ah, sounding familiar or place them in sealed caskets and deliver them under curfew conditions to the families and supervise the digging of the graves and burial, so as to not be able to prove they took their organs. We call upon physicians, medical centers, and associations everywhere to condemn and boycott Israel physicians and medical centers. Of course, they simply go, the UN's racist! Right. You see why that's not working anymore? We call upon civil societies, human rights organizations, and individuals, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and all their faith, other faiths to condemn this practice and demand its immediate secession. 
We call upon state parties to the Geneva Conventions and the Security Council to impose sanctions on Israel for its persistent violation of its obligations under the Fourth Geneva Convention, which they don't care about and have never abided by. Non-action on previous violations has encouraged Israel to commit more and more violations in the comfort of a sense of impunity, immunity from prosecution or the imposition of sanctions, no matter the level of depravity its violations may reach. Israel may must emphatically be made to understand through action and not just words that it is not above the law or standards of civilian civilized human behavior to which they got those people removed from their positions. And now we have a different situation, right? That's what happened. So the reality is we've always been seeing this. It's always been called out and it just ebbs and flows between the control of the Zionist entity. Which again today, thank God people are finally seeing it again. We need to make sure we don't lose control of this. This is posted by the International Organization for the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. You know, the very thing they pretend they're all doing. This is the United Nations. My God. Right? Think about how egregiously obvious that is. And here we are, acting like, no, you don't understand. It's all fake news. You're being lied to. That's what's happening. Now, and here's that point. Gigi Hadid falsely accuses Israel of exactly what we can prove they're doing. And that's what happens. And all the Eli Davids and Ben Shapiro's of the world, they shout you down and say, you're so stupid. You're a racist, Jew-hating maniac and supporting Hamas because you simply highlight what the Israeli government is provably doing. And back to the point about the hospitals. Well, here is a horrifying reality of what's going on in these hospitals. And maybe part of what we just discussed. Understand, as gross as it may be, as, as interestingly enough, we were just briefly pointing out in some way in A Wake Up Today, there's a huge market for children and organs and even alarming realities of children and things they use to reduce people's age or their, their you know, in, in the, the sense that we can today, right? Things like we've talked about, I think that there's that famous one with Sandra Bullock on The Ellen Show, talking about using the foreskin of babies to inject in their face to make their face look better. Or the idea of the blood infusions. It's a real thing. And it's now it's becoming a real market. We've talked about that years ago. First of all, November 10th, Al-Nasir Jones Hospital in Gaza becomes inoperable because of their ongoing attacks. We Here on CNN, they reported as well on November 11th, the next day. He says they, the, he, who, he heads the Al-Nasir Hospital, as well as the Rentisi Hospital. And he says they were surrounded and asked for the Red Cross to assist with the evacuation. We are completely surrounded. There are tanks outside the hospital. We cannot leave. It says the hospital complex is close to this certain neighborhood and camp where ground fighting was reported by the IDF. It says we do not have electricity, no oxygen for patients. We do not have medicine, water. We don't know what our fate will be. His call comes after strikes were reported near several other hospitals in the area. Okay, the point is they surrounded the hospital. They bombed the hospital. They sieged the hospital, right? Then the babies die. Right now, people that have been allowed to go back in are finding the horrifying reality, which it's blurred out, thank God, but there are videos you could find that aren't of the babies that were forced to be left in these rooms, in the beds, because they ha- were forced out of the hospital by the IDF. And because li- they likely already died before that because they didn't have electricity, food, or water for babies that were in need. So, what you're going to see is a person who is going back through the hospital. And there are, in the in the infantry ward, you're finding dead babies that they had to leave. 
Now think about this for a second. If the whole point is that they're here, if the whole point is that they're that they were trying to get only Hamas, right? And they were trying to save the innocent people. Are we to believe the IDF would push in, push everybody out, and then let the babies die when they left because they care about civilians? You realize they forced them out of this hospital, just like the other ones, and then left all the children to die. Talk about the real story of babies in incubators. This is what we're staring at. This, These are the people we're talking about. Makes me sick. And on that note, Robert put out an excellent article today entitled Hamas Bases in Hospitals. Exposing Israel's propaganda. It's a great article that you should under. You guys know well the lie about this, but he breaks it down in a very easy way that's very shareable in this article with lots of links that you can prove for yourself. Now, on the note of the, let me see where we are actually. We're at about two hours. I'm thinking I might want to go through more of this tomorrow and leave that there. I know a lot of you always want me to continue, but we're going to go through the hostages, which we've, we've talked about a lot. There's more information coming out where they're being, we're being hearing that they were being told they're treated kindly and they weren't tortured. As I said, though, there were some examples of the opposite that I haven't been able to verify, though. I haven't seen the videos, couldn't verify what they were saying. We've already proven to you, by the way, I think one of them is right here, that they've, they've been caught lying about, about what these people are actually saying. Well, I guess not. Where was that? Oh, here, you know, here's one, which, by the way, I don't know what this was. I caught Twitter with this weird stuff I keep seeing from shares. That interestingly says visibility hidden. Like, I think we're getting a quick glimpse in some kind of mistake where you can see some kind of coding on this, where like tweets like this are being suppressed. I think that's the reality, my opinion. But this is just a post showing you that BBC did intentionally mistranslated translated what she was saying. She, she never even mentioned Hamas. And what she was saying was what the Israelis did to them. But they frame it as pro-Israeli and, and you know, basically lie about what she's saying. To I think wrap this up in a point that I think a point I think is important. I want you guys to remember the Amnesty International report from the eighth, telling you that from the seventh of October forward, they've seen and proven horrifying cases of torture and degradating treatment of Palestinian detainees in these areas by the Israeli forces. So we don't need to prove this. We know they're doing this. They're torturing people in their custody. While you're hearing people told that's not happening in Hamas custody, which in no way suggests that there's somehow a positive entity that we should support. Simply just highlighting the facts. And about, you know, this is all about people in their prisons and what they're doing to them, which we will go over in the future. I was going to go over the Elon Musk part, but quite frankly, I don't think this is time sensitive for today. I will go over this in the next show. The absurdity of him getting the IDF tour, getting handpicked things of what they're going to show them and saying, here's what you should see in this context. And then him coming out and basically saying that we're going to rebuild Gaza together. It's very alarming. Are you sure I'm not going to miss anything I think is especially important right here? Help rebuild Gaza. There's your kind of overlap to the big picture. David Icke says, I'm embarrassed to see how swathed of the alternative media, namely in this case, Mario Narfal, have been falling for Musk. What a BS fraud. This is David Icke saying he tells you what you want to hear and then does the opposite. But hey, it feels nice to have your belly stroked. He has, has anyone stopped their Musk worship for long enough to ask why the deep state that controlled Twitter would sell it to him? He really believed in free speech, A or B, there was not an ulterior motive. Look how he's been absorbed into the alternative, thanks to the Twitter purchase, as a hero to be swooned over. The sting is working then. 
Why not ask why Israel created Hamas, Mr. Musk, why, or why Hamas operatives are allowed through the border fence despite cutting-edge surveillance? And right, The whole point is I don't think this Musk thing is uh, it's, it's honest. And, they're, and Elon, they're all leaning into it. Propaganda against Israel must stop. Thank you, Elon. And don't forget, I said in case you missed it, music festival massacre survivors, you know, a lot of which are telling you things they don't want you to hear, involuntarily committed due to mental breakdowns. Really? That's pretty damn alarming. Lastly, and I will go over this in the next one, Gray's own article from the 25th, proving that the girl that they were highlighting as one of the main issues are on the record was killed by an IDF tank. But that's adding to something we already know. Lastly, Sarah points out, from Yemen to Morocco, Jordan to Indonesia, Scotland and Ireland, from France to Spain, London to Portugal, Cuba to Australia, Canada to the U.S. and beyond. The people of the world are rising up every day in massive numbers to denounce Israel's genocide in Palestine. The world is seeing this. Now, look, if you think that's an, a, a disingenuous thing that we're falling for, you may be right. But can you still not see the benefit of having this kind of momentum? I also see the risk of that being marshaled through another manipulation. But in what other way do we win if we can't utilize the kind of momentum we currently have? To just always see the momentum as a ploy, which it always may be, is only going to put us in a position where we never want to win. In fact, all we end up is these kind of snide, sideways glancing people that despise everything and say that's always a trick, it's always a ploy, when maybe it always is. But we need to at least hope that we can change things. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? But be skeptical, as always. Now I'm going to end. Thank you, Jesse Nosbaum, for pointing this out. Richard Medhurst has a great little rant here. It's almost like a like a flow, like a little kind of with a uh, spoken word kind of thing. I, I kind of feel like that's what he's doing here, but sometimes it doesn't rhyme. Either way, it's outstanding, and I, I agree. I agree with his frustration. I agree with his the, the, what he's saying here. It's just time that we stop without crude words, <laughs> messing around and, and just be real about what is happening, what we can prove and what is obviously ha- what we can see, what we can break down for people that have never seen it before in ways that they will, it'd be, it's impossible to deny. So thank you for tuning in today, guys. I, I wasn't, pl- I, I decided to kind of cut short there. Oh, that's weird. Don't know how that stopped, <laughs> but I, but I, I wasn't planning on breaking off here. I was going to, you know, those other sections, but it felt like a good place to stop. And I feel like it's an important, that first focus, I think is really important for people to understand how obvious it is that they're going to come out and say fake news, how racist of you to suggest we're stealing organs or kind of pearl clutching and saying, how dare you? What a disgusting claim when you can literally prove it in the sense of it, their own investigations, their own admissions and a UN investigation proving that's exactly what's happening. Like, it's obvious that they're doing this. Now, you could argue it recently stopped. The point is that there's an obvious discussion to be had. And if they're now being reported by human rights groups that the bodies they returned are, in fact, missing organs, shouldn't somebody go investigate that? Now, the point will be, let's just say you have the UN go investigate. And they go, yep, they're missing kidneys. What's going to happen? They're going to say, the Palestinians did it. They're lying. Or the UN's racist and they're part of Hamas. You see how this kind of works where so there's, there's already kind of a standing narrative that no matter what is exposed, you have a, a reflexive point to say, well, that's why that can't be talked about. Same thing happened during COVID. 
But I, I'm telling you guys, the world sees through it. So it's time that we take advantage of this and try to expose other things that are important. And yes, be on guard to how any of this can be used against us. It's the same thing I was saying during COVID or before that in any other discussion of foreign policy, that when you're in a situation where, well, the first point is that, you know, when they're lying about everything, they're going to eventually challenge and step on the previous lies. And those are moments to expose what they're doing using their narrative, even if both sides of it are false. But realize that people... The momentum here is very obvious that people can see through this, that we can try to marshal against the larger agenda. And I do think that's very important. But I think, I just think that it's important that we don't miss a possible opportunity because we're worried that we will be tricked. Just That's why the question everything narrative is so important. But it doesn't mean doubt and ignore. It means question, but entertain all possibilities. So if we are leaning into this and try to utilizing this moment to inform new people, oh, I mean, the point I was going to make before is ultimately that when a new thing, when something breaks out, some new information comes out, like I made this point about, I think, Russiagate and QAnon, right? Is that there was a moment where people were suddenly kind of going, okay, wait a minute, like sticking their head above the clouds and saying, I, I can, something's wrong here. And that's when they dump all this stuff on you and they rush a gate and QAnon. And the point was they were trying to wrap you back into the illusion. I've always said, I think they were two sides of the same manipulation, the left and the right version. They were meant to drive you into simply trusting the state as the person on your side. The point was though, that people see through these things, right? They wake up and they look out and they suddenly go, okay, I, I see through it. But that's what QAnon was there. You, they were, they were, it's a minefield. And instead of stepping through the minefield and letting people like us, or, you know, as I see it anyway, trying to help you guide through that to make your own objective choices, you step on the QAnon mine or the Russiagate mine. And what it does, it says, here's the truth. It's, we found everything. It's all you need. So be happy, pat yourself on the back, go back to sleep and go, we did it. We won. We see it all. That's the problem though. It's just stuff like this. So we need to re realize that there will always be something like that and take advantage of the positive moments that we can. So thank you for your continued support for this platform, because I believe what we're doing is very important. I believe there are very few platforms out there that are nonpartisan, truly, and objective, even to a fault. And there are plenty. The Corporate Report, right? Media Monarchy, I think very much so. There are plenty of them out there, but more and more, we want to build this into being the, the, the main fact, facet of what's going on. So help us continue to build that. There's lots of ways to support the platform down below, but as always, most important, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. I'm done, man. You know, I've had enough. I've had enough of Israel killing 15,000 Palestinians and calling that self-defense. I've had enough of the media calling Israeli hostages hostages, but Palestinian hostages prisoners. You're upset about 200 Israeli hostages, but oh, you didn't know there are 10,000 Palestinian hostages? Please, enough. I've had enough of Israel throwing Palestinians in prison without charge, without trial, without even telling them the reason why. I've had enough of Israel bringing up the Holocaust as it carries out a Holocaust against Palestinians. What happened to never again? Or is it never enough? I've had enough of Palestinians being punished for European crimes and Europeans giving away land that ain't theirs to divide. I've had enough of seeing children's bodies blown to bits and parents crying their eyes out. Where are my kids? Half of Gaza's population are children. So if you've bombed half the buildings, who are you hitting? Thousands are still under the rubble. All of them missing. 
enough of this shit, enough of this killing. I've had enough of spoiled Israeli settlers complaining from their cushy hotels while Palestinians sleep in the rain with no clothes, no food and no beds. And Israelis have the nerve to pretend that they are oppressed. Shut your goddamn mouth. Do you know I've lost count how many times Israel have bombed the same refugee camp or the same hospital? Do you need to bomb a UN school a hundred times before you've had enough? Israelis driving Palestinians from their homes. Another Nakba in plain sight. Taking more land, taking more lives. Seems it's never enough. I've had enough of Israelis always playing the victim, even as they victimize Palestinians and commit genocide against them. It's tiring, exhausting, such a bore. And no one is falling for that crap anymore. Israel claims to be the Jewish state, but it's in a state of genocidal mania and doesn't speak for Jews. So many Jews around the world hate Zionism. They've had enough of this too. I've had enough of Israel claiming that Arabs hate Jews. This ain't about religion. They're lying to you. It's about Europeans stealing Palestinian homes. And if Israelis were Buddhists, Arabs would fight them too. I've had enough of talk show hosts acting like Middle East experts. Pierce Morgan thinks history began on October 7. So the only trick he knows is, bark, yes, Israel, then roll, and hounds his guests with, do you condemn Hamas? No, we condemn Israel in your rubbish program. I've had enough. I've had enough of Americans claiming Hamas are terrorists when Uncle Sam's the biggest terrorist on earth. They want to lecture people about human rights and international law, but when it comes to Israel, they don't give a fuck anymore. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya, Somalia, Yemen, Lebanon, those weren't enough. How many people have to die before you wake up? Israel is carrying out a genocide in broad daylight, suffocating the dreams of Gaza's children at night. When will the world put an end to their plight? Jesus Christ, haven't they suffered enough? 15,000 people killed wasn't enough. Dozens of doctors and nurses wasn't enough. Israel killing journalists across the Levant. So many in Gaza went to bed and never woke up. What's your excuse? When are you going to wake up? You need to find your humanity. Enough is enough.